on episode 98 of Pixel Gaiden. Six good cooking games. The finale of Cody's Genesis Shmup Review. The 10-minute MSX Retrocast. New Year's resolutions, kinda? We make plans to visit Super Mario World. Atari has a new console again, again. We get wild with our beer selections. Cody discusses Aka R. And we light some incense, literally. Yes, that is right, ladies and gentlemen. A whole new year. A whole new chapter in our book of Pixel Gaiden. My name is Cody Hoffman. And I'm Eric Nelson. Surviving the storms. And you're surviving the storms. There we go, here in Northern California. Tim apparently actually heard about the storms all the way over in England, so I don't know if he's just, like, looking up on us, or I don't think the news travels that far. I don't know. I don't know. But, yeah, he did... uh Give us well wishes because a lot of places around here are flooding and uh, storms every day. Seems like high wind. It's causing you know, all we, sorts of mayhem. We like to complain about our drought over here, and then when we get a bunch of water, we complain about that. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty nuts. Luckily, uh, we weren't too hardly affected here at my particular location. That's good. Um, but yeah, I know some people that have uh, had flooding issues and limbs and trees fall over and power lines break and I lost power for, for a half a day, but, but it's back. And that allows us to bring you the pixel guide and information audio straight to your ears. If you're looking for the number one place for retro video game talk and retro inspired video game talk, you're in the right place, Eric. Thank you. Um, so yeah, it's a whole new year. I'm already thinking ahead. I'm already looking forward to, to starting my, uh, our, our first beer this episode, which will, uh, you know, it'll naturally be my favorite beer of the year so far. <laughs> I, I will say this cause, uh, you know, last month we did the breakdown of 2022 and our favorite things. Yeah. I am keeping a little whiteboard section like, <laughs> of things that really stand out so that at the end of the year, I'm not scrambling to try to remember. That's a good um, idea. I'm literally going to have just a little corner where I just write the games, the beers, all the all the great stuff from this year that really stand out so I don't have to worry about it. Is that your resolution, Eric? That's it. That's it. Yeah. I think my resolution, not that you asked, but I'm telling you. Okay. And I'm making it up right here, right now. I think my resolution is to stop worrying about being as um, so authentic about everything I'm doing for the show and just have fun. Yeah. Meaning, and for the show you'll see later, we'll talk about it shortly, but there is a game that I tried and spent way too much time trying to get my original hardware to work. I don't know why it's not working, beating my head against the wall until I finally said, you know what? I can buy it on Xbox live for like four ninety nine. I'm just going to have to do it. Yeah. And if I just did that from the get go, as soon as this thing didn't work, it would have saved me so much headache and trouble and, 
I, I agree with you. I've I've done the same exact thing before when I've had failures in the past. So don't don't feel bad about it. I just I, <laughs> I, I spend the money and then I, I I don't look back and I just keep going. And now I've set up some emulators on the Steam Deck and on Mister. So I have backups in case my real deals don't work. There you go. Um, well, it is a pixel guide and let me run you down what we're going to do here on this episode. So first and foremost, Erica and I were just about to hop into some quick questions, but we will be hearing from Tim just after that. He does uh, a segment tea time with Tim each month. And this month he's going to talk about 10 minute MSX retrocast, which is a little nod to our friend Doug at 10 minute Amiga retrocast. Yeah. Uh, so it looks like he's going to be talking about yet another old computer. Um, the Japanese MSX. Um, after that, we should be hearing from what the heck? We'll hear Eric's take this time. Um, nice. No, no, no. I take it back. I take it oh, back. I'm, I'm okay. sorry to mislead. I'm sorry to mislead. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. I just realized because in the last episode, if I remember this correctly, I was trying to finish up my Genesis Schmups uh, guide. And I got through part two and I had to make a part three and I already announced I'll finish up next episode. So that has to be in this episode. So Genesis shooters part three, um, which means next episode, Eric will have Eric's take, which you're going to have to explain uh, to me. I'm sure this will be great and I'll be enthralling, but it's the most, most boring sounding topic in the world. <laughs> you're right. It is podcast gaming workflow. Yeah, exactly. So I made these <laughs> flow charts that I'm going to explain to you Ooh, in a, yes, yes. a three-hour segment. No, no, that's okay. not what I did. Um, no, I, I honestly, this is based on user feedback. A lot of people reach out to me on Twitter and other places and ask me how I do things for the show. How do I fit the time in for games? How do I parse out like which game systems I play on, whether I use emulation or not? Um Things like that. A lot of people ask me also what software we use. They ask me a lot of questions about the mechanics of the podcast. A lot of people find that very interesting. So what I did to make it a little more interesting is that I talked about how I, how we decide kind of what we're going to play on the shows and how I fit them into my daily life. And then I talk about the machines I use how I have them set up, how I have them plugged into monitors, et cetera, et cetera. So like exactly how I play video games. So I'll do a quick Cody's Corner right now on that same top uh, subject. Uh, how oh, do I do you. everything I do? I scramble. <laughs> there we go. Cody's Corner, the end. Yeah, that's um, pretty much what I say in, in, in about <laughs> 20 minutes. <laughs> I scramble, I wait too long, and I do everything the last two days before we record and then apologize for not doing a good enough job. That's what I do. <laughs> Um, anyways, to round out the rest of today's episode, we will be hopping into the news where Eric and I talk about the news and uh, we'll follow it up with a six good games segment, Eric, which um, I think you picked out this one. This was a unique one. Yeah, for for six good games, I I wanted to do games where cooking was a critical gaming mechanic and after seeing some of the stuff you put up there and some of the stuff I was thinking about, it, it veered a little bit more towards just food, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought we had done an episode on just food. Um, I don't but know. I wanted, I should have been more clear when I explained it, but it's basically going to be games where cooking is involved. Yeah. I think it, when, when I heard your, I think you redefined it later after I already played the one of the games. Yeah. And I'm so like, it's ah, no good. Well. 
Again, I'm taking <laughs> Cody's resolution where I'm not just going to take uh, okay, who cares? <laughs> Whatever. We're going to talk about six good games. What, We're going to talk about good games. Yeah, who cares what they're about? Exactly, exactly. Uh, so that'll round up our show today. And then, of course, we're going to have our next episode, as we usually do on the 30th, uh, the end of the month. So January 30th, um, we're going to have a game show, I believe. We are going to have uh, Tim on for reels in real time to talk about all the things we've been catching up on together. And then we will be covering a battle of the systems, which is another Eric's choice this month. Yes, it is. And that is going to be Captain Commando on the PlayStation 1, which it's also an arcade game. It's a, a near-perfect port, which we'll talk about. But yep. Captain Commando versus Guardian Heroes on the Sega Saturn. Sega Saturn, yes. So a couple of 32-bit brawlers, if you will. That should be great. But it's the first of the month, and it's the first of the year, and it is time for Quick Questions. Quick Questions! And I think we have uh, we have three today. We have two a twofer from a, a listener, and then one of yours, Eric. That's right. So let's start with uh, Josh, forty eight k RAM. On our, he posts these on our Discord, which I encourage people to join up on our Discord. Um, first question he has though is, okay, it's a new year. We need new quick questions. So here's one about beer and retro. Which would you rather do? Give up your second favorite system, or? Drink an entire six-pack of Howling Gourds in one sitting. <laughs> now, so, first, you have to identify what your second favorite system is, and I had to give a lot of thought to this. The second favorite system. Yep. Um, well, let me identify for the uh, listeners that might not know. Howling Gourds is by far the worst beer we have ever tried on the show. It is the only one uh, – well, actually, at this point now, there, were, there have been three – that I've considered undrinkable, but this is the only one that I would aggressively uh, reject. <laughs> yeah. And, and Eric, your body almost did aggressively reject. It did. It, it was legendarily bad. And I physically got sick. Luckily it was right at the end of the show, but I was like, guys, this is, I can't do this. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. It was bad. So if, you're, if you're ever at Trader Joe's around the Halloween times, look, look out for howling <laughs> gourds. Uh, it has some jack-o'-lanterns on the cover. Um, drink an entire six-pack. I mean, that sounds like we're, be- we're joking, but that would legitimately be difficult. It would very, be. Very, very difficult for me. Um, but I'm not going to give up my second favorite system. I just have to have a terrible night. Yeah. Um, so that's that's my answer. But let's see. What's my second favorite system? Do you, do you know already, Eric? I do. I do. Okay. I gave, this, I gave this some serious thought. Um, and I'm going to assume some things. I'm going to assume I can't just go out and buy another one. I'm yeah, going to assume yeah. that I can't use a spare, that you literally you're just giving up on that second favorite system forever. That's the way I'm going to take the question. Um, it would, the second, my favorite, my second favorite system would be my Commodore Amiga or CD32. I'm going to allow me to make a wow, no differentiation okay. between the two. Okay. Um, I love the system. Uh, it's not my favorite. I think the Commodore 64 would be my favorite of, of them all for nostalgia reasons and, and other reasons. But it would be the Amiga, and uh, honestly, my answer is that I would, I would drink the the. I, I don't want to. I wouldn't give that up. So, I would drink the six pack, and I would hate it, and I'd probably throw up a lot, which might be entertaining for some people. I don't know. <laughs> oh, they want it on the show is what you're, is what you're thinking here. Sure another, sure, another assumption. Yeah, I was thinking the whole time you were talking. I don't know what my second favorite system is. 
Uh, for nostalgia reasons, it's got to be the NES. Okay. And for playability reasons, Saturn comes to mind, Dreamcast comes to mind, Super Nintendo comes to mind. Um, it's probably Super Nintendo, honestly. Yeah, that's a great system. You know, for, for what it's worth, and I, I might talk about this a little more later, it's definitely not going to be any computer. I do love the Commodore. I love all the computers. But computers inherently, all of them, you have to fight to get things working and worry about regions and different ways to load or not load or fast load or what, how you back end this or how you make this. And I can't stand it. I just want to be able to plug something in and play it. Yeah. And more and more, I'm getting old and grumpy about it, Eric. Um, no, I get it. So right now I'm on, I'm on a, a little bit of an anti-computer kick right now. So um, <laughs> I'm loving my cartridge-based systems even more than, uh, and then, of course, CD would follow that. But right. th- even CDs get finicky. So there we go. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to read. Actually, Eric, you have to read this next one. Then I'll read yours. That's how weird this is going to be. You have to read this next one, and I have some sound effects to go with it. Sure. So this is uh, this is Josh again, 48k RAM, and he originally posted this question, and then he reposted it with an evil gnome theme. So here we go. The classic evil evil gnome. The evil gnome has broken into your retro room and stolen your entire collection. Aw, what happened to your pants? (laughs) (laughs) However, hearing your sobs of distress and accepting your generous offer of yogurt, it has agreed to replace it with the entire product line (laughs) from a single brand. Which brand do you choose? Do you have an answer already? I I've thought about it and I think you answered it already. I think you just said Commodore in the last one. I think I would pick the whole Commodore line, but um, if, one I, if someone if someone said I needed to, well, he says the entire collection, so I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go with Commodore. Yeah, I think I have to go with Nintendo. I mean, yep. Um, the NES for nostalgia reasons has to be my favorite. Super Nintendo is probably the greatest Nintendo console of all time. Um, I like the GameCube. I have nostalgic. I like and I have nostalgic love for the N- Nintendo 64, even though I know you hate it. Well, I don't hate and, it, but and we got the Switch right now, current Switch. So, not to mention the Wii. I mean, there's a lot of untapped potential in the Wii. I mean, I, there's a lot of games on there we we don't really cover very often, but the Wii had some pretty decent games. And I would say, if you're talking about entire product lines, you're talking eight yeah. bit all the way up through current. It's yeah. only Nintendo. There is no other. Yeah. There's so, a lot. That yep, is my right. single brand. It's a, it's a boring answer, but it's the truth. No, man, that, it's, that is legit. I'll get you nope. next time, Pixel Guider. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to read Eric's question. Hey, Eric, did you know it's 2023? I do know that. Any, any retro gaming related hardware or games you would be willing to hunt down this year? Any repairs? So I asked you. I asked you your question. Yep. So the repairs, um, I have a couple that are kind of interesting that I want to get done. So when Tim gave me the 48K Spectrum, he did a composite mod on it, mm-hmm. and it is deteriorating. So now oh, whenever no. I, when I move the Spectrum, it literally like shakes the screen and like there's static. And I got to open that bad boy back up and reflow some solder there. But That's a super all, simple one, luckily. 
Yep. But what I might do also is replace, take the, um, it, it, it looks bad. The, the little faceplate on it is all dinged up and scratched and whatever. And you can buy those new faceplates. And okay. I think I might do that, but I might actually transplant it, plant it into a case that has a mechanical keyboard in it. Cause they have these little kits that have huh. the different keyboards in it that have either a mechanical keyboard or like, you know, the, the spectrum plus that Tim gave you. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. You can just move your thing. And they, there's a bunch of like dead cases on eBay in the UK. So I could get one of those for like 40 bucks and just literally pop my motherboard in it. Yeah. But that 48 K is so cool. It is. That's why that's I'm the form factor. Well, I, I wouldn't do it unless you have a double a duplicate, but that's right. So I probably would just be, be literally cosmetically sprucing up my 48 K. Um, but uh, as far as systems, I don't really have the hunger for any real systems. Now. I mean, if, if I found a, Neo Geo AES, I'd probably grab it. If I found like a Sharp X68000, I'd probably grab that, but yeah, I'm not confident. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And those are really expensive. So seriously, I don't, they're not really on my radar, but I, if I found a good deal, I wouldn't pass them up. What about you? Well, we kind of answered this question recently. For me, it was the uh, Sega CD. I still don't yeah. have a Sega CD, so I want to get that. Yep. Um, but if I have to try to make this interesting, the next thing I'm actually kind of interested in getting is another one you just can't emulate. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just kind of a a fun little oddity that I would honestly. There's a couple games I've been wanting to play. I played one of these as a kid. My my uh, an acquaintance of mine had one, and I remember playing uh, one game on it. And that's the Virtual Boy. Oh yeah, I want to get that funky looking Virtual Boy. It looks really cool on the shelf, and I want to get one. And there's enough parts and replacement things out there now that even if you get one that's not perfectly working, you can get it up and running uh, with a few extra pieces. So. I think that's the next one on my list, but I think it's going to be that same kind of thing. I'll have to like find it randomly at a game store or yeah. at a yard sale or, you know, it's going to, it's not going to just, I'm not going to play top, top eBay dollar for one and have it not work when I get it. So, yeah, I remember seeing those maybe six or seven years ago, you could find them still at like 150 bucks, hundred bucks. Now they're pretty expensive unless they're broken. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for how much you're going to play it, even 150 bucks is a lot, but that's right. It doesn't matter to me. It's cool. I know. It's a little museum piece, right? I agree. I agree. They are very cool. Cool. Any repairs? Well, I will tell you that I don't actively have any repairs on my mind, even though I do have a box of broken dreams, <laughs> but I do know that if I'm going to do them, I'm going to head on down to retro rewind.ca, Eric. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. Wait, I got to do that. I'll do it. Perfect. <laughs> And Eric, you know what? I was looking the other day for an Amiga USB HID mouse adapter. So where do you think I could go to get one? I think that if you went to RetroRewind.ca slash PixelGuiden, you'll find one. You will find one. So if you're looking to, uh, maybe you got a new Amiga, maybe you're like Doug and you've got all the Amigas and backups of Amigas. Um, you know, those, those uh, Amiga mice aren't cheap anymore. No. They're a little hard to find. You got to clean the ball. You got to mess with some stuff. I mean, you got to have a couple, one or two, or maybe the pregnant mouse, just the pregnant mouse. Yeah. And if we're uh, being honest, if we're being honest with each other, they were always crappy. <laughs> if you want to play a good game of Shuffle Pluck, Puck on your Amiga, yeah. I mean, Shuffle Puck's a great game, but it is mouse heavy. Yes. Uh, 
you're going to want to use a modern optical mouse, which means you need to hop on down to RetroRewind.ca, pick up an Amiga USB HID mouse adapter, plug in your USB on one side, and plug in the 9-pin adapter on the other side into your Amiga, and you're using a modern mouse on your classic Amiga. What else yep. do they have at Retro Rewind, my friend? They have a C64 Amiga Genesis Joypad adapter, because let me tell you, and I've, I've had some friends on Twitter do this, if you plug a Genesis pad into your Commodore 64, <laughs> you will be sad because it's, it will seem to work and you'll be happy for a few moments and then you will hit a key and move the pad or something like that and you will blow up your Commodore 64. Literally blow it to smithereens. Like those explosions you see on TV where the guy's running from it. That now, kind of explosion. Now, for the low, low price of $11 that was rewind, you can get yourself one of these or not. And if you don't, just make sure when you press those buttons at the same time, you're looking the other direction, walking away confidently. Exactly. And if you do, oh. if you do blow your Commodore 64 up, send it to Frank. He'll fix it. it send him the smoldering pieces, <laughs> and he'll fix it. <laughs> send it to Frank. That's right. Frank over there at RetroRewind.ca also does repairs on classic uh, Commodores, on Tandy color computers, on... I'm sure all kinds of other things. He hasn't advertised them all on here, but uh, Atari's and old video game systems. And he does a great job. And it's actually not nearly as uh, as you you think it'd be expensive, but it's quick and very inexpensive to ship to and from Canada. So exactly like Frank. Yep. You know, like uh, the secret menu at in and out burger, there's like a secret menu. Frank Uh has a secret uh menu where you just ask him, Hey, will you fix my Vectrex? And he might do it. There you go. There you go. There you go. And uh, one last little tip. If you want to save 10% off your order on re- at RetroRewind.ca, when you check out, use code PG10 to save 10%. Uh, quick caveat, you need to be logged in. So you need to have an account and log in, and then you will be able to check your code uh, when you check out for 10% off using PG10. Fast shipping. Fast shipping, too. Um. I think it's time for us to go ahead and let everybody know how they can get a hold of us. You can get show information on our podcast at pixelguiden.com. You can also listen to our show on the Amigos Retro Gaming Network at anchor.fm forward slash Amigos podcast. You can reach us on Twitter using at pixel underscore guiden. You can reach Eric at the project. That's at D-U-H-P-R-O-J-E-C-T. And you can reach Cody at Oddball, which is at O-D-D-B-A-1149. You can also reach me, that's Tim, at Sanxion, and that's at S-A-N-X-I-O-N. Please review us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or any of the other podcatchers that you use. It really helps us out. You can email us on podcast at pixelguiden.com. And we love any feedback. And also, please let us know if we've done anything wrong and we'll mention it on the next show. We also have a Patreon account set up, so if you wish to support the show financially, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash pixelguiden. You can support us with as little as a dollar all the way up to infinite dollars. 
If you do so, you'll get access to the Amigos Retro Network Discord server, where all kinds of cool chat is happening about not only our show, but the other shows such as Bright Castle and, of course, the Amigos, um, amongst other shows. And there's various other topics in there, um, everything from for sale to music to uh, high score contests, things like that. If you support us at the $3 or more tier, we like to announce every supporter at that level here on the show in a way that we can only do here on Pixel Guide and using our random adjective generator. And this month, it's time to stretch our vocal cords. And thank you, one and all, of our patron listeners. Thank you so much. It really makes a big difference. Yep. Eric, let's go ahead and reach in and grab ourselves a fresh, delicious beer. Yes. Now, I have to, I have to point out something. I don't, this is not really something to point out. It's just a weird little uh, aside. But for whatever reason, uh, over the holidays, we were at a friend's house playing, uh, uh, well, having, having beverages. But we ended up playing a board game. And I forget what happened, but there was uh, somebody decided to light incense. Oh, no. No. <laughs> somebody decided to light incense, and I was just really digging the vibe. So all of a sudden, I hop on Amazon and bought like an incense kit with a bunch of flavors and stuff. Yeah. Scents. And like, I just started lighting incense while I'm in here, like for work or just now I lit it. And I've tried a few different flavors, and they've all been pretty good. And I don't know why I decided to wait until right now while we're on the show to light the patchouli oil one. Okay. <laughs> it is aggressive. It is an aggressive scent. Yeah. You know, and, you uh, know what's funny is when we first got on uh, Skype, I saw smoke billow by and I was like, that's weird. <laughs> I, but he decided not to let me know my house is on fire. You're like, hey, he'll figure it out. Yeah. I was like, oh, he's got to see that too. 
Uh, how about we? I'm gonna let you. Shall pick. we go? Shall we go bottle first? Sure. So the four beers that we're having this month, we'll have two. We'll have two uh, on this episode, two next episode. But this is an homage to um, Tim's favorite brewery, as well as uh, it's become one of my favorite breweries. Even sure. though I've never never been to it, and I haven't been anywhere n- near it while it's been in, in existence because it's way over in England. Yeah. What's it called, Eric? It is called the Wild Beer Company, and Tim has sent us uh, a ton of these over the last couple of years, and I've really enjoyed it. That was what was the one that was one of my favorite, the sourdough bread one, or what was that? Yeah, one? I loved I loved the sourdough. Yeah, me too. That was so good and so unique. I never tasted a beer like it. Um, and this is also a sour beer that we're having here. But yeah, what I like about it is they have really cool. Um, they have cans, they have bottles, tall boys, uh, they have normal 12-ounce beers. They have all kinds of different shapes and sizes. But the labels are rough. They're like, um, they are. They're yeah. like light sandpaper almost. Yep. And um, very unique looking, brightly colored. They don't kind of fit their typical beer mold. They're out there to break the mold, Eric. That's right. And it's kind of sad. I'd pour some out for my homie, but um, I guess the, Tim was telling us they're out of business. That's it. That's why this is an homage. Yep. So that's really sad, and I'm 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 kind of bummed out. We're never going to get any more of these again. And I like to say never say never, though. You never know if they're going to just somehow find a way to come back. You know what I mean? I hope so. Hopefully, they'll save the recipes and they'll live on with their children. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so this one is called. It's actually funny. It sounds very American. It's called Zintucky. Makes me sound like it's a Kentucky made Zin or something, but it is a blended sour beer apparently. And uh, as I saw there, you you just frothed over the top and had to take a sip, so you beat me to that. Well, I, I had to. Also, was going to pour over. I didn't expect it to foam up so much, but my goodness, and I was using proper pouring protocols too. <laughs> All right, let me go ahead and pour mine here. I'm pouring it into my Doug mug. Oh, perfect! Wait, perfect. Doug. perfect. Perfect. A Doug with 10-minute Amiga Retrocast sent over. <coughs> and uh, quick sniff. It smells like a sour. It smells kind of apple-y. Yeah, you know what? We mm. can, Let's cheers it now. I'm going to drink out of the bottle until my... Uh, it's all foam all the way down. <laughs> there you go. All right, my friend. Cheers. Cheers. Whoa! Oh! <laughs> what? <laughs> what, is this? what is going on? <laughs> Eric just lifted his bottle to the camera to say cheers, and it just, like like a champagne bottle, just started billowing forth. Mine did not do any of that. I have actually a perfect pour here. Something. Tim has rigged my bottle up to explode. Oh, that was funny. Man. Now I got beer all over my hands. Can't touch okay. technology. So maybe you better than me can tell me, what's the texture like? <laughs> <laughs> what is the feel and I didn't even shake this bottle up or anything. I don't know what what, what happened. Um, I got to tell you, I don't like sour beers, but this one's not bad at all. This one actually has a very nice flavor to it. It's very light. Yeah, which I like because the, the deep sours are too much for me. Uh, I'm not a big fan, but this one is almost perfect for a sour. Perfect. Perfect. Hold on. Do I, do I have perfect on mine or no, I don't. I just have yogurt. Yogurt. Perfect. Um, it's very light for a sour. It's like an easy drinking sour. 
Yeah. And it has, I don't know what it is. It has that wild beer character to it, though. Like, there's a either a flavor or some kind of a, a vibe in their beer that it, it I, identifies them. And I'm going to admit, I'm not going to explain this correctly because I'm not a scientist, but it, I, it, it tastes to me like in the wild beer company beers, it's something about the yeasty flavor of it. Yeah. Across the board, the yeast tastes the same. And I don't know what that means. <laughs> it's the location, you know, it's yeah. like the humidity and the environment, it's probably about the elevation, I think. I could tell the hops were grown in a very arid valley. Ooh, yes. Ooh, very arid. Mm. It's good. It doesn't hit me over the head with anything. Um, it's simple and easy drinking. I'd order a pint. Oh, man. I, I actually like prefer this over most typical sour. So this is going to rate much higher for me, I think. For for me, it's going to rate high because it's good. Yeah, but it's not going to be super high because I like my sours to have like hit you in the punch you in the face character. Exactly. And this does not have that. Okay. So, uh, what's our rating system? It's got to be the same for all four beers, and yeah. it's got to be Wild Beer Company. Um. Well, there is a related. What is that thing on the cover? Is that an elk or a deer? It's a deer, right? We'll call it a buck. A it's buck. a buck of some sort. Yeah. How many points does it have? Oh, good point. One, two, three, four, five, ten. So I'm seeing four, five, six, twelve, twelve-point 12 buck. Okay, twelve-point buck. So out, of, out of a twelve-point buck, I'm going to give this. I'll give it nine points. I. That's exactly what I was thinking. I'm thinking nine. All right. Perfect. Sounds good. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Wild Beer Company. Yep. And I will. And Eric, you said you were going to pour one out for your homies, and you did twice. <laughs> I did actually. I really did. <laughs> I'm all have, right. I'm gonna have to well, clean that means this we need a desk tomorrow. It's got beer all over it, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to pause the show right now. Let's just keep going. Yeah, I will. I will say it does not pair particularly well with uh, patchouli. <laughs> no, I couldn't. Ima- <laughs> I, I can't imagine what does. But go. <laughs> Man, this stuff is pretty, uh, yeah, anyways. Uh, let's go ahead and talk news. Uh, all right, can't find the button. It's been a while. There it is. <laughs> let's talk news. Reporting the news. And I'll go ahead and share my screen, Eric, so we can talk about the news together. Awesome. First news item of the day. Duke Nukem Forever game prototype was found and released. This is a not a not a uh, not not Duke Nukem Forever as in the one that finally got released and was in uh, the process for a long, long time. This is, uh, as you can see here on Indie Retro News, a 2D prototype that was made. And I did not get a chance to download and play this. I, I actually can't even... I'm not even sure if you can. Yeah, there it is. Download. You can download it. Nice. Um, but if you remember... Uh, and I'm not, I know you remember, Eric. But if you listeners remember, uh, the game that company Apogee made the original Duke Nukem, which was a side-scrolling DOS game. And it's kind of a very generic uh, side-scrolling run-and-gun shooter game where you shoot barrels and stuff. But this is um, a game that I guess, according to the, the, the write-up here, um, let's see here. It was actually, 
Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm trying to find it right here. I saw it a second ago. It was made 1990, 1996 is when, when this would have been uh, halted in development. And they finally canceled it altogether in 1997. Uh, and, of course, they decided to reuse the name when they did finally make the Duke Nukem 3D reissued game, or remade game, Duke Nukem Forever, which turned out to be a total dog. But, yeah, man, uh, this looks like a solid... Somewhere between a 16-bit and a 32-bit. I mean, it's like a, a Super Nintendo or more like a Genesis uh, run-and-gun game. Yeah. But with really cool lighting effects and stuff and uh, textures that I would say are more 32-bit. But it, it actually looks pretty impressive. I want to give it a shot. You know, it, it looks really good. If this is a fully fleshed-out game, then the graphics look look really cool. Think of a 2D platform, but with uh, very kind of 3D-looking sprites. Um, and it's got a kind of a dark, gritty atmosphere to it. Now, that being said, uh, and I hate to, to call him out on the... Oh, nope, he found a way out. There we go. I hate to, to call him out on this, but... Um, and I apologize, I can't remember your name right now, sir, but the guy who runs Indie Retro News uh, gets these videos, and whoever makes these videos never plays the games very well. <laughs> right. Saberman, so, is that his name? Saberman, yeah. yeah. So... I can't tell if this game is un- incomplete or if he just doesn't know how to get out of this first area. Yeah. Um, but I believe it was uh, it was pretty close to being done. So, anyways, it looks super cool. Yeah, it does. The, uh, it, it's hard to explain these graphics, but you should check out the link in our show notes, um, and you'll see what we're talking about. They look really great. Absolutely. Tim's got one here if you want to read it, Eric. Yep. So, Reset 64... A uh, new edition has landed over the holiday season, available from their itch.io website in PDF form. It's another oh. brilliant edition covering games on the Commodore 64 from the latter part of 2022. The results of the 2022 craptastic competition, which is great. There's also a section dedicated to Oliver Frey, the amazing artists from Zap 64, Crash, and many other games artwork. Of course, featuring another amazing Ant Stiller, produced cover page artwork it's a free download listener of the show yeah listener of the show yeah great great friend of mine it's a free download but you can always throw them a few bucks for their hard work or else you can i believe you can also can you still get these in uh physical form as well usually they have a limited number of physical copies whenever they release uh lately when they've released episodes so i'm hoping that that's going to be the same with this as well yeah, I, I just getting these things uh, physically is the way I would want to do it. But from England with the shipping, it just makes it really uh, the, the value drops when you inc- include all the shipping and stuff. But I would love. Uh, do they do a? Uh, I don't know if he does a um, like an annual at the end of the year because that would be cool. Just having every uh, every issue kind of rolled into one big volume that I could buy. I don't that think they do an annual, but that's a good idea. That's something we should probably move you know put past them and see what they say but yeah i'm looking at the the cover right now it looks like a a very um 80s rpg fantasy based uh kind of vibe with this big snake thing in the background and you're like you know conan the barbarian guy in the center beating up dwarves and the only thing missing and uh is the the almost completely naked ladies like tied to a tree although there is a guy back here tied to a stalactite yeah or is that a stalagmite, Eric? I don't know. Hmm? I, I never hmm? know. <laughs> um, 
looks like they cover polar bears in space and blast from the past uh can't tell what game that is but um yeah very very cool excuse me Woo. Speaking Man, this of- patchouli, this patchouli is burning my eyes. <laughs> you got to move that further away from you. <laughs> it is strong, man. I've, and I've been burning other scents here just fine, but this one is woo. Um, hey, uh, up, update. Yeah. I didn't realize this was this close, but Super Nintendo World in Orlando, Florida at Universal Studios will be open next month. I think it says February 17th, 2023. It'll already be open. I didn't even know they broke ground, but they already they're ready to go. Isn't it funny that our show's been going so long now that I remember early on when we were talking about that they had this idea to open up this this Nintendo well, world. When we first started, we were talking about how they had the idea to open it in Japan. Yeah, that's right. And, and like right. a year later, they opened it in Japan, and then they did announced that they're going to open one in America, and now it's here. And now it's here. That's awesome. Where where is that again? That's in Hollywood, right? That's in Universal. Uh, it says Universal Hollywood. Okay, so we could... Oh, I said Florida. It, it's Hollywood. You're right. Yeah. Ooh. So I guess you have to go to... Um, and I don't... I, sorry if I don't know my, my uh, theme parks as well, but I guess if you want to go to Hogwarts World, you have to go to Florida. But if you want to go to Super Nintendo World, you go to you go to LA. Guess so. You go to Hollywood. This would be worth checking out, though. Road trip, Eric. Yeah. Are we going to go to a kid's theme park together? <laughs> I would love it. <laughs> Let's do this. It. All right, so uh, if anybody wants to up their pledge on their Patreon, uh, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> you're going to send Eric and Cody to to give you, uh, you know, feet on the street at Universal Studios to check out Super Mario World. Uh, looks pretty cool. I haven't looked too much into this one, but I'm pretty sure it's a, you know, a, a near replica to Japan, um, which we, we kind of talked about that in one of our episodes, but... Man, it looks really cool. <laughs> it does look really cool. There's a lot of neat stuff in there. Looks like some interactive games here with this game wall. And uh, I've heard great things about the gift shop, which, you know, whatever. Oh, Eric, we have to get pictures of us sitting there in the Toadstool Lounge eating amongst the candy canes and the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Two grown men by themselves. I'm not bringing my children. Look at that. Video game time. The gift shop does look actually really cool, though. Doesn't it? Yeah, we're gonna have to go. Yeah, <laughs> so cool. Ooh, and I like how they even have the um, the uh, what do you call it? Like the uh, the 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 Egypt cactus yeah. thing from Super Mario Two, which is considered by many to be not canon, but it is canon. Look, there, it's right there in the theme park. He's right there. All right, Eric. Um, let's see here. So, uh, sand. Uh, uh, cactus uh, scorching <laughs> in the desert. Segway. It's scorching yep. hot in the desert, and that scorching hot. There you go. Um, so we're, I'm going to go real retro because we are a retro show. We are. So one of the one of my favorite games from the early DOS era. I remember when I got my first 386 and I was playing DOS games was uh, Scorched Earth, and I know many people will know that by different names. Um, but it's the game where you're a little tank and you're sitting on mountainsides and you have to select the, what do you call that? The angle of your, of your gun. Yep. Then you select the velocity and then you select the velocity and you fire. And I got it. I loved that game on PC. I mean, I played it all the time. Um, and then, you know, as it got more sophisticated, there were games that had multiple weapons like little baby nukes or, 
um, ones that when they hit, they would have projectiles that shot out of it, you know, um, just a, I love the game Scorched Earth. And now, um, somebody has made a version of it for Atari 8-bit computer systems. So the Atari XL XE line, which I'm glad to see a game, a new game popping up on there. Um, but it is basically scorched earth and it looks like there's nothing missing from this. I saw like the weapons list and it showed all the cool weapons that you can select for your tank. Um, it basically is scorched earth. I mean, it looks amazing. So and yep. that, that's on indie retro news as well. I like the limitation where if you shoot above the screen, it just floats on the top of the screen until it eventually comes down. Yep. You can hear it though. Go, <laughs> <laughs> and it hits. So I, I played a, a similar game, like you were saying, uh, on Mac. They called it Artillery, and you were yeah ca- castles firing at each other, but same concept. But yeah, absolutely. And this one looks exactly like the one on PC because there's the Merv. I remember that one, which is the one that, as it reaches its arc, it explodes into multiple missiles that that shoot out from the one missile. And oh man, I I've, I got to tell you because I I loved that game. Not only single player, but when a friend would come over, we would just play you know oh that was the way to play it yeah i mean i don't know i don't know how single player worked but on artillery you only you had to have a friend no yeah in the scorched earth on the pc you could play you can set up multiple computer players and and you could gotcha. you can adjust their uh ai so they could be stupid why, why haven't you come over and ha- we, why haven't we had like a worms night oh that would be so awesome well, worms is great i mean i got the worm evercade cart and everything so come on we gotta, gotta do play it. some worms we gotta do it Hey, Eric, how many, off the top of your head, how many in the last, I don't know, 20 years, how many Atari 2600 slash 7800 consoles have been sold? Like uh, new versions that can play those old games. Oh, man. In the last 20 years? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. In the last 20 years. How many? I mean, the flashbacks alone, they're up to like 15 or something. That's right. So there's tons of flashbacks. There's those little uh, handheld ones. There's uh, the Atari VCS. VCS, the new one. Well, let me tell you, Eric. Yeah. Atari is releasing a new Atari console again, again. <laughs> <laughs> again. That's the way I'm putting it. Uh, so they announced, man, they, they are just milking a yeah. milking a dead cow. Is that a saying? I don't know. That's what I'm going to go with. Um, anyways, there's three things they're releasing. The first one is, and they're teaming up with, um, oh, what's that? My Arcade. They kind of make those kind of kind of kind of junky yeah you know target games yeah and so they're making uh first of all they're making the atari 50th anniversary micro arcade which they already have you know my arcade already sells these things with a bunch of other garbage on them but now it's the atari one with a bunch of games um they're going to be coming out with the same exact thing that you were just talking about the little handheld ones that they came out with yeah same same idea kind of a junk little thing um but the big one the biggest one is they're coming out with their own atari game station plus Okay. Which I have to say, kind of looks, I mean, it doesn't, I don't think it's going to be a great product, but it kind of has a cool aesthetic to it. It's it got a cool look to it. Yeah. So it's got two controllers, which are u- very unique, and it's got a, uh, the, the console itself looks almost like a controller, like a big controller with all kinds of, like, vents and things. <clears throat> yeah. Um, but the controllers have three buttons, uh, three little red buttons on the bottom for like start, select, and whatever, and then one big button just like an Atari Twenty Six Hundred controller. But then there's also a button on top of the of the joystick, and then a little um, trigger button on the side of the joystick. So you got options. Yeah. 
but it looks like they're going to be filling it with 2600 and 7800 games which isn't so. bad that's not it's listen i'd be more inclined to get that than the atari vcs um which by the way i've heard is now out of production they're not making any more of those big surprise well, there i better go i better go get one they're probably going to be as right. cheapest that they can be right now right now i want i think they just the, the hardware is cool and i just want to own that hardware just to own it i know they're not worth anything right. as far as actually using them yeah. but now look at the size of that console versus the joystick. I mean, that is yeah. like almost a I mean, that thing has to be maybe twice the size of a credit card. Yeah, I was going to say like an Atari cartridge almost. It, yeah, probably. So it's it's a tiny look I mean, look at the size of the big old buttons on there. But if it has enough going on with older games that you can just plug into an HDMI HDMI monitor and play. I don't know. I mean, if the price is right on that cheap enough, I'd, I'd get this. It looks really cool. Now, one thing they're missing, which I would hope that maybe comes later, but where's the trackball? There you go. I want to, I want a trackball to play centipede and all those, all the cool Atari games that require a trackball. That'd be cool if it was built into the console, actually. It, that would be cool. Yeah. But I'd even take all a right. wireless trackball. That's the same size as those joysticks that you just kind of use instead of the joystick. But when you said what's missing, I thought you were going to say the cables. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> How are you going to play the game? There's no cables between the controllers. Exactly. Anyways, there's your Atari news. Uh, looks like the next one here is from Tim. Yep. So let me read You this. be Tim. New ZX Spectrum and Amstrad CPC game. Ramiro the Vampire. Wow. Mm. Um, Ramiro the Vampire in the mystery of the... Pap- papyrus? Papyrus? Pap- papyrus? Papyrus. Papyrus? The Egyptian, Egyptian paper. Yeah, papyrus. I don't know why I couldn't say that right. Um, <laughs> it does look funny. I think I was thrown off because Ramiro, I thought, was like, is this our first Hispanic vampire? <laughs> I was going to say, it's a, it's a Latino <laughs> vampire. I love it. That's fine. That's that's great. Um, new from the Mo- Mojon? I think we decided it was Mojon, right? Mojon Twins. We're going with it. New from the Mojon Twins, downloadable at the itch.io site. New puzzle platform adventure for the 64K Amstrad CPC. And yet another system I need to get connected again. I yeah. want. I, I love the form factor. I love the graphics Excuse me of the Amstrad. And there's been a glut of games this year. Yeah. Uh, I would say in the last year, not this calendar year. That's another one. I, that's another days. system from our quick questions that I don't have that maybe I would get. But my mister does a pretty good job of playing those two. But it would be nice. I might, I might need to get a mister, honestly. That would help me fix a lot of these. Yeah. How do you plug in and play game issues? Exactly. I might just have to do that. It is the ideal plug and play system. Like you just go and you're in the game and you're playing. So. Anyways, good-looking game. Check out the show notes. I don't know what more is it to say about it. It does look kind of like a... I guess it's a puzzle game, but it's a kind of side-scrolling platformer puzzle yeah. game. The graphics do, do have a neat quality Very cool. to them. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. Um, I wanted to talk about this, because this is one Eric, you and I were talking about, and I don't know if you even knew it came out yet. Okay. But we, we both loved... In fact, you played it first, and you introduced me to it. Uh, Golf Story on the Switch. Yeah! Very cool, top-down, kind of uh, 68-16-bit-esque uh, RPG where you're playing golf, even though the game is more about being an RPG than it is about golf, but there's enough golf in there for the, for that for to be fun. And they had a sequel that was coming out called Sports Story. And long story short, it did come out. 
very similar gameplay, except instead of golf, there's all kinds of other uh, activities you're doing. And two things happened by the time <clears throat> since we last talked. First of all, it came out. Second of all, it reviewed horribly. It had all kinds of issues, um, and it was uh, glitching, and people were had just it was getting like three and four out of tens, and I was really distraught. Um, however, just Friday, is that Friday? Yeah. They released uh, a new version, a patch, so it's already at 1.0.3, and um, hoping that the reviews get better now that all the bugs have been, or most of the bugs have been worked out. But you can see from the picture here, you can do everything from playing cricket, to fishing, to playing volleyball, I think soccer's in there. Uh, so I don't know if you've seen this lately or not, but here's, you know, it looks like Golf Story, but look at that. There's Golf Story with fishing. There's there's some golf, a little yeah. golf in there for her. So golf didn't go away completely. Um, there's some tennis. Here's some, I don't know what that was, street street soccer. Yeah. Anyways, it, it looks awesome. It looks like something you and I would love. They're playing BMX there, volleyball, uh, baseball. That does look describe really it. cool. I didn't even know this came out. I didn't even know this existed. We talked about it once in the show when it was announced, but it's been a while. Okay. And then it just kind of came out under my radar. Yeah. And that's probably because it just got such terrible reviews. So I'm not going to buy it just yet. I'm still going to make sure that the patch fixes all the issues before I put my hard-earned cash into it. But I'm excited about it. It came out in December. Very cool. I like it. So while I'm not a game streamer, Cody, you know that. I don't stream games. I don't do the streaming, and I don't watch the streaming, to be completely honest. But a lot of our friends do, like Josh yep. and the Amigos and a bunch of other people. Uh, uh, Sprite Castle, you know, Rob O'Hara streams a lot. <clears throat> so I keep an eye on streaming and streaming technology. And I know that the only way to stream Game Boys from a Game Boy was to do these big hacks and mods on your Game Boy that you could put like an HDMI cable in it or a composite or whatever, and basically mod your Game Boy up the wazoo to this, make these crazy Frankenstein devices to do streaming. Or or, or try to have some crazy camera set up with specific lighting that yep. probably still look really washed out and terrible. <clears throat> okay. Exactly. So now I found this ingenious, and I when I saw this in the news, even though I you know I don't stream, so I would never buy this, but I think it's really neat, and it's gonna yeah, it's gonna mean that there's gonna be a lot of really cool videos online that aren't aren't emulated, you know, they're not just emulators, they're gonna be real Game Boys, which I think is cool. But the GB Interceptor lets you stream gameplay from an unmodified Game Boy, so it's basically a cartridge that you pop into your Game Boy. And then you pop your cartridge into the cartridge, and there'll be cables coming out of that car- of the the interceptor that will let you capture the signal and put it into your computer and stream live from your Game Boy. There you go. So I think that looks. I think that that's kind of neat. It goes USB into like OBS or whatever software you use, and puts it puts it right there for you. And look at the. I mean, it looks crisp. It looks really good. Yeah, the only the only thing, and I'm sure there's a maybe it comes with software or whatever, but um, the only thing is that obviously the Game Boy programming is done in black and white. Yep. Um, and I guess gray, maybe gray, but um, monochromatic. But it's got that that olive green screen, right? Mm-hmm. So when the information comes out onto your screen, though, uh, it's only going to be black and white with a white background rather than olive green. So 
I'm sure they have to you have to select something to give that olive green color to make it feel more authentic. Yeah, and I thought there might be a way that because I thought this might be compatible with Game Boy Color, maybe not. I don't know, but it's I would still, hope so. If they make a device, you know, I'm sure there's going to be software that's going to let you tint it or do whatever you need to do. So. Yeah. Um, there you have it, the GB Interceptor, and I think that is available now. Let's see if I see finally it. released. Yeah, I think I caught that. Cool. Okay. Nice. Interesting. So there you go. So fun, GB little, fun little project. There will have links in the show notes if you want to check it out. Here's a quick one, and I don't know what's going on with video game mo- movies right now, but <laughs> I feel like every episode I've got two or three more video game movies that are coming out um, to the point where I can't even remember which ones I, I mentioned at this point. Yeah. But apparently, Gran Turismo is going to be a movie. It was announced at the CES <laughs> Computer Entertainment Show in 2023. Yeah. I mean, it's funny to me, because the only thing I can imagine, if they're trying to make a true Gran Turismo game, yeah, it's going to be uh, a game where uh, weird people with heavy European accents sip coffee, listening to smooth jazz, and then drive their cars full speed into the wall, don't get any crash damage, and just bounce off it and keep going. <laughs> That's right. Gran Turismo. Yeah. I mean, I love the game. Don't get me wrong, but it's always funny to me how they have this really, like, calm music the whole time. And, yeah. You know, you're you're meeting up with your your advisor at coffee shops and having biscuits before you head off to go buy yourself another Lamborghini. <laughs> um, anyways, I think it's funny. But it also mentions in here, and I, again, I can't remember if I mentioned these or not, that they already mentioned that both God of War and Twisted Metal are in development. Yeah, the Twisted Metal one surprises me. That doesn't seem to be one that's really well adapted for a movie, but I... I oh, I disagree. I, I think God of War is perfect, perfect, although it needs to be a big budget. No, I think you're right. God of War. I said Twisted Metal. But but Twisted Metal, I think, would make a super fun, like, if they just <laughs> lean into it, super bad B-movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, I, would, yeah. I would watch that probably first, honestly. Okay, okay. God of War has a very interesting... Uh, mythology to it if you will so i mean mm-hmm. you could really do something kind of like what they did with witcher um i mean because you know witcher uh it got world acclaim and it's supposed suppo- i never watched it but it's supposed to be a pretty good series if they could take if they could take god of war i think that would be amazing but i it would be interesting to see twisted metal but i think you're right if it's campy and cheesy or whatever it might be a cult classic now, they're saying they're making both of those into a series. I could see God of War being an amazing series. Twisted Metal needs to be a one-and-done movie. Yeah. <laughs> but I want to watch, uh, uh, what's it, Sweet Tooth? Yeah. You know, and, and most of these drivers, you never see the driver except Axel, because he's literally holding onto the wheels, flying around the the battlefield. Yeah. But I, twi- you never see the actual characters, so are they going to show the characters? Well, I, I don't know, but it. you do see the faces of the character, because in Twisted Metal 2, I always played the guy in the Hummer, and he was like a ghost soldier. So he had, like, a face like a like a phantom, but, like, he had a, a helmet, like an army helmet on. Yeah, but you only see, like, a still shot, right? That's right. You never, you never right. see them in action or no. talk or... Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I gotcha. Yep. And Axel just stands there like a... Like Jesus Christ up there with his arms out and his legs out, holding onto those wheels. Holding onto those wheels, exactly. <laughs> um, and then also, I'll just touch on it because they mentioned it here, but yeah, The Last of Us uh, television series mm-hmm. uh, comes out the day this podcast released. Yeah. January 15th. Are you interested? Um, you're going you're to watch that, huh? 
You know, I didn't even think about it until just now, but I absolutely love the game. I think it's a really cool story, and I love zombies. So, yeah, I would love to watch that. And that now, has finding, the, the, the dad is Pedro Pascal, right? Like the actor? I, I have not even looked into it. Okay. I have no idea. I think it is. No I, he's a great actor, so I, I would watch that. I did get my family to watch the Uncharted movie. Okay. I didn't oh, tell them. yeah, with Tom I, Holland in it. How was that? I didn't tell them it was a video game. Okay. Until we started watching it, and then I confessed. I'm like, yeah, I know all this stuff already. Because <laughs> did they uh, like it? It was, it was good. It was entertaining. It was worth watching once. Yeah. Okay. And it, it definitely did that theme kind of... You remember, like, Doom a long time ago came out as a movie with The Rock? Yep. And uh, yeah. they, they leaned heavy into, like, first-person shooting scenes in the movie, which, like, did not work. Did not work. No. Um, this kind of does that, although it works better, but where you see people, or, you know cargo falling out of an airplane he's literally jumping from piece to piece and you're just like yeah right <laughs> like come on yeah that's ridiculous right so anyways lots of uh video games spilling over into the entertainment industry i guess so um sometimes when i watch movies yeah i'll get some sushi or maybe even a crunchy roll <laughs> so the, I, i'm gonna admit like when i saw this i i put it in the notes more because i found it cool that a new game was coming for the game boy color okay yeah and this is going to be a full release physical game boy color game but my daughter does uh share like a subscription with some friends for crunchyroll which is the um it's basically a website where you go and you can see uh anime yeah, it's a streaming app as well. On you can yeah yeah so on your basically Amazon it's a Fire Stick like, or whatever. It's exactly like Netflix, but it's for anime. Yeah, and so they share this login, and they can watch animes on there and all that stuff, right? But the company Crunchyroll, and it's a legitimate company. I mean, they they don't do this yeah. illegally. They license all the stuff. <laughs> so it's a legitimate company. Um, Crunchyroll is, I guess funding this creation of a game called Heim's Quest, an 8-bit action-adventure game set in 1999 where you play as the streamer's mascot who is on a mission to save a small-town anime club from the threat of the evil Y2K. (laughs) (laughs) But when I saw the gameplay on this, it actually looks like a legit, pretty cool game. Yeah, looks like a little RPG, uh, which is very Japanese and very anime. So. Yeah, so now we're getting uh, we're getting these companies making these retro games, which that's 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 what I took away from this was, wow, it's a modern company that is getting into making retro games, and this is going to be a cartridge that is limited to pre-order. It's going to be forty four ninety nine, and you get a uh, a cartridge that's in Crunchyroll Orange. Or limited, uh, limited run blue Our from limited, limited run, run blue, games. Yeah. I like Crunchyroll Orange. I want Crunchyroll Orange. Yeah, that's what I would want. So anyway, I thought that was really neat, and it looks like a legit cool RPG on the Game Boy Color. And if you want this game, then pre-orders already ended on the twenty third of December. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, I'm a little late with my news. Expected to ship May 2023. So if you want this, wait until it ships in May 2023 and get ready to pay $150 for it. Yeah. That's the, that's the thing that kills me. And I get why they have to do those limited run and do pre-orders and stuff. But man, I just, I can't do it. I, I need, I want you to put it on the shelf and if I see it, I'll, I'll buy it. <laughs> like right now, if they said available now, I'd click on the link and I'd probably just buy it. I, me too. No, knowing, knowing to be at my house in three or four days. Yeah. That would be cool. Yep. But anyways, 
uh, get off my lawn, and uh, <laughs> uh, this game, I don't know if you heard about this, this is interesting, it's called Aka R. Have you heard, heard of this? You haven't? Eric, you haven't heard of the the game classic Aka R? I have not. <laughs> okay. Well, once I tell you who makes this game, you'll be like, yeah, that, that kind of fits. Okay. Uh, so basically, Atari apparently had this game, um, came out a long time ago, um, produced by Jeff Mintner. Oh, interesting. And uh, they basically said it was a game that was made a long time ago. It's it's a, a lost classic, right? So, created by Mike Halley and Dave Ralston, originally due to be released in arcades back in 1982, but it was scrapped as it was considered too difficult during a test. So they went ahead and uh, had it released. Um, the unfinished prototype was included, actually, in the Atari 50th anniversary celebration. Yeah. However, this new standalone version will be released sometime this year, and it's going to be the complete package with all kinds of new content and a fully fleshed out game. So, but I'm looking at it right here, and it, it looks like a Llamasoft game. It looks like Jeff Mintner yeah. uh, with crazy animals with horns and neon space. All of his games definitely have a very similar, similar look. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure there's crazy music and weird particle effects everywhere. Um, <clears throat> it, and, looks, and I mean, it looks really cool, though. It does. I mean this with... Uh, there's no way to say this without coming across as me being negative, but I'm not. Uh, I think what he does is cool. I think Jeff Mittner has a style and he has an interest, and uh, he could probably go out and do other things and make more money, but he's doing like <clears throat> his thing yeah, with weird, weird farm animals in space and neon colors and shooters and things that just generally... You know, people like us love it, but generally are not money-making ventures that a lot of people would. And somehow, uh, they continue to ke- continue to be released and produced. Yeah. And so I say kudos, my friend. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this game I'm looking at right now, like, there's no reason this game, with all the other games he made that looks just like this, <laughs> commercially, this, this is not going to be a success. Right. It's not going to be a big success, but they continue to put them out there, and, and people like us will continue eating them up and just going, man, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> does that make sense? It does I mean, make I hope sense. That, no, I, I hope that comes across the right way. Nope. But uh, Yeah. And they even put right here on the uh, NintendoLife.com thing, with all the bright colors bursting out of the screen and Mittner at the helm, we can expect something incredibly fun, chaotic, and a game that will always be a good laugh. <laughs> so, I, mean, I, I kind of put it into context there, but um, I can't believe you never heard of Aka R. I have never heard of it, so thank you, for, a- thank you for introducing that to me. Right, right. Spelled A K K A, and then new word is A R R H. Aka R. But I guess you can get it in that in that uh, Atari's fiftieth celebration. A game that came out on everything. So and I do. I'm gonna have to get a copy of that. I want to talk to you about that for a second because yeah, um, I've been hearing every time I listen to a podcast or I go online, somebody's raving about it. Like, yeah, the old games are fun, but the new games that are on there are pretty cool, and the interviews on there are pretty cool, and all the add-ons and stuff. They, everybody seems to. I haven't heard a negative thing about that. So I, I'm thinking about get, picking up a copy. I just don't know what platform to grab it. Yeah. The good reviews are, are, are kind of twisting my arm. I might have to do it too, and I have to do it physical. I'll have to get it physical. But So you probably get um, it on Switch, right? 
Probably. What, Probably. what else would you get it on? Like Xbox? Or PlayStation. Oh, okay. I can't actually my Xbox it doesn't even have a DVD that's uh, right, tray. That's right. So, so you can't PlayStation do this there. Yeah. PS4. Um Okay. But Switch the Switch cartridges look cool. Do you think everyone loves it so much because it's really that good, or do you think they love it so much because Atari hasn't put out anything worth buying in twenty years? <laughs> <laughs> and they finally put out something that's like a C plus, and everyone's like, "Whoa!" I, uh, you know, the way people talk, they say that the reimagined games on there are supposed to be uh, amazing. So, all right, let's do it, Eric. I, I think I might get it, but you're right. You you bring up an interesting point. If I can find that used for a killer deal on my Xbox One, I'll, I'm going to do that because I can still get physical for that. There you go. Okay, cool. Well, we're going to look into that. You have the last item of the news episode here. Yes, I do. And let me get through this so we can get to more beer because I'm chomping at the bit. Yes. So this is a Pico 8 version of Manic Miner. Nice. Which um, I think is really cool that someone took the time to do this. And and from what I understand, this can you? it's by Matthew Smith, who makes a lot of really great ports. So he has a he has a history of making solid ports on the Pico Eight, but this well, is a Matt, Manic Miner, and it's supposed Matt to- Smith. Matt Smith originally made Manic Miner, I believe. Did he? Yeah, I believe that Manic Miner was 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 Matt Smith, the classic ZX Spectrum game itself. Maybe you're right. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong then, because I could have sworn this was a guy that has made other ports on on the Pico 8 itself for like, I mean, I think he has a long list of other ports of different games. All right. We're live here on the thing before, so we don't have to do errata next episode. Exactly. Let's, let's, let's sort see. this out. So the errata hounds Manic don't get us. Miner created by, Not by UC, <laughs> UC Davis. Davis. Wow. Nope. I'm going to type in Matt. Yep. Matthew Smith. Here you go. Born 1966, British computer game programmer. He created games, Manic Miner and Jet Set Willy for the ZX Spectrum. So, so pull that up again, though, the Pico 8 thing, because they might be just be giving him credit for making the game, but who made the Pico yes. 8 game? By Minionsoft. I, w- I wish it told. There it is. There you go. So the game is by Matthew Smith, but you, so you're right there. And I'm sorry, I Minionsoft is who makes the Pico 8 version. There we go. Okay. There we go. We sorted I'm, play, out I'm playing it right. I'm playing it right now. Oop, yep, it's just as hard as the original. Exactly. So Manic Miner, for people that don't know, is this platformer on a, on very old 8-bit systems like the ZX Spectrum and uh, Acorn. I mean, this came out on a lot of stuff. But it yeah. is pixel-perfect, hard as nails. But Yeah, when, when we talk about pixel-perfect in a negative way, in my opinion. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm dead. Man, it's hard. So it is pixel-perfect in, in, in some would say a good way, some would say a bad way, but it is... One thing that's cool about this game is it has a uh, um, every room is named something new. So like Central Cavern or whatever, They're, they all have unique names and uh, it has a very unique music to it, which I think is just an old song that they've transcribed into 8-bit music. I don't remember the the title, though. Um, oh, it's the... Uh- Hall of the Mountain King. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yep. So you got it. Um, but this is Manic Miner. So if you love Manic Miner, you're going to love the Pico 8 version. And, and I do plan on downloading this and slapping it on my Steam Deck and playing this. As it looks it looks really cool. Yep. Manic Miner is a game that I can appreciate 
back for the time I'm sure it was released, and I've I've been able to get to like the third level, yeah, the third screen. But it is just a war of attrition figuring out how to pixel perfect each level, and it's not for me. Yeah, a lot of people <laughs> say that, but uh, there are so many people that love it, so I thought yep. I would include it. There we for go. For sure, for sure. That everybody is the news for January fifteenth here. I'm sure we missed one or two other things that might have happened in the news, but that's that's news to us. Yogurt! Yogurt! All right, Eric, let's go ahead and uh, go from sour to chocolatey and milky. So which one? (laughs) That sounded weird, but I'm going to take it. Which one is that one? The chocolate milk stout, the double deca. The double deca, okay. And it says right on it, it's a, it looks like some sort of celebration to the Wild Beer Company reaching a milestone of 10 years, which sadly was the total amount of years for yeah, exactly. Wild Beer Company. Aww. Feel that, though, because this is on a can this time, but man, the label is very gritty. Yeah. It's very cool. I love it. Like, if you wanted to, to kind of like they did in the, in the old... Uh, the old beer commercials in the 90s where they would throw them a can of icy cold beer and they'd catch it just perfect for the camera. Yeah. If you want to do that in real life, you want this grippy can right here. That's right. You're going to want that texture on there. It says, single origin Varhona cocoa. This beer is liquid chocolate in a can. That's not beer. Uh, inspired by Millionaire, but with 10 times more chocolate. Oh, this is going to be... I don't know about this one, Eric. Yeah, because we have the other one. We have the millionaire one in in the bag here. But I feel like we should have started with that. But oh well. All right, the finest Valrhona cocoa makes this velvety and smooth, decadent and satisfying. All right, well this is this is dessert, is what this is. Brewed in Somerset. Brewed in Somerset. Discover flavor by nature. I go ahead and crack mine. I already heard yours. Yep. So what's the ABV on this? Let me look that up. Oh, I'm sure it's five percent or less. That's they all are over there. Five percent, exactly. It's ex- there you go. Five percent, exactly. Hey, all that's right, what my you friend. Up. Look, perfect pour. Perfect. Look at you. Cheers, cheers, my friend. Cheers. Boom. Ooh. Yeah, that is. That tastes like a Hershey bar. It does. It's got a. Interesting. It's got a little, man, hard to explain. It's got a little muddy flavor at the end. I'll, I'll tell you this much right now. It doesn't pair well with patchouli. <laughs> keep, keep saying that. It's, every beer is not going to pair well. You, that might tell you something. <laughs> the patchouli is about 10 minutes from going out, and then I'll have to, I'll have to get a different scent going here because... I got, can I, My eyes are red. Can I ask you an honest question? And this is going to like completely. You may not. Sh- now, what are you going to do? This is going to show my complete ignorance. Yeah. Yeah. What is that? Is that a plant or something? Oh, patchouli? Yeah. I know there's the patchouli, patchouli oil. Patchouli, patchouli oil. But so, you know, I, so, so I don't have an answer for you, but I'm going to answer your question with a completely different answer from sure. another question you didn't ask. Sure. Um, I did have the same question when I lit my first question. Uh, stick of incense, which was frankincense and myrrh, right? <laughs> that has something to do with Jesus, right? Because ba- baby Jesus was given yeah. three three gifts, frankincense, yeah. myrrh, and gold. And I remember watching a Family Guy episode, which is perfect, where the three wise men are like, they're like, what'd you get him? Like, frankincense? What'd you get him? Myrrh? What'd you get him? Uh, gold? Oh, gosh, I thought we said $15 limit. <laughs> and they're like, all right, we're going to put them all together, put all our names on them. No, 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 no. Um, 
Anyways, frankincense and myrrh are both, again, oils, fragrances from a from a kind of a thick, stocky plant. I mean, they're different plants, but from okay, they, and they both they they cut them and basically make them um, make the plants bleed, and then the the sap basically comes out and hardens, and they take those crystals and then they boil it down into oil, and that's frankincense and myrrh. Uh, patchouli, I have no idea yet. So I'll have to use more. I'll, I'll have to get back to you on that one. Yeah, because because yeah, every time I, I, I well, we'll, well, let's talk about that another time. <laughs> not not live to tape here for our listeners. Yeah, because whenever <laughs> I smell that and someone says, "Oh, it smells like chipotle, uh, patchouli or whatever," I'm like, "I don't like that smell." You know, so I, we're we're talking about it now. Okay. So there's a lot of uh, obviously the. Um, the the free children of the late sixties and seventies. There you go. We'll use patchouli oil, and I'm up. So up where I'm at, as we as you know, Eric, we've talked about it. Yeah, grass Grass Valley, which by the way is aptly named for a large population up here. Yeah, um, <laughs> in Nevada City, we have hippies up here. Now they're not modern day hippies; they are straight out of the sixties and seventies hippies. Yeah, like they're they're even even regardless of age, they're like the original. Like their values haven't shifted with society like new modern day hippies these are like old school hippies that live here still yeah and there's a lot of patchouli oil um yep. and yeah it has it almost to me it sell, smells like pepper yeah it's like a um really earthy sharp peppery smell to me yeah yeah and I'll, I'll tell you naively when i was younger and i would smell that it would always come from somebody like a hippie yeah yeah but somebody that did a lot of like pot or weed or whatever. And they yep. almost used that. And this is what I thought. And I could be totally wrong. But as a kid, I thought they used that to mask the smell of weed because that's what they were doing. <laughs> that's what I yeah. that, That's what I thought. I'm, I'm sure you're right in many cases. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, incense is often used for that as well. I promise you that's not what I'm doing right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there you go. It is a, a, a species of flowering plant. There we go. Yeah. Cool. From the Philippines, New Guinea, Malay, Palinta, Sri Lanka, Indonesia, and South Asia. There you go. See, Fragrant essential oil. Pixel guide. See, uh, educational. The more you know. Ding, ding, ding. Um, all right. So let's go back to our beer, which tastes like a Hershey bar to me. It does. So... All right. I'm, we're going to have to do one of these, Eric, I think, in my opinion. I going to rate it as a beverage and as a beer. Fair enough. So out so, of twelve, out of twelve as a beer, <clears throat> I'm going to give this a seven. I think I'm going to go um, give the other one a nine. I'm going to give this. Um, what'd you give it? Seven, maybe a six. I'm going to give it a six and a half. I'm going to go ahead and split difference. Seven seems a tad high. I, I see. I'm I'm going to give it a seven. I'm going to give it a seven. Okay. Yeah. As a beverage, mm-hmm. the chocolate thing's good. Yeah. It's almost like a, if, if you look at it from that point of view, it's almost like a, uh, a, a thin milkshake with no body to it. Yeah. And, and uh, for that, I'll give it an eight out of 12 as a beverage. It's, it's like Ovaltine for adults. A Dovaltine. <laughs> Dovaltine. Hey, I think go. you got something there. You know? Let's patent that. Let me call the brewery and let them know. Oh. 
pour some of this out for our homies as well exactly i i like it i'm enjoying it um it it, it's a little too it's a little too chocolatey this if this and this isn't a tall boy 16 ounce or roughly 16 ounce yep um this should be in a 12 ounce can (laughs) yeah and i will i will say this i mean we're saying here that it's a little too chocolatey right Excuse me, my goodness! But it says right on the can, <laughs> ten times yeah, chocolate milk stout. So this is our fault. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but we, we knew the job was dangerous when we took it, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Speaking of dangerous jobs, I think it's time for us to go here ahead and hear what uh, our buddy over the sea is up to. Right on. Hey guys, how about we take a little break? check with our friend over the pond that's right it's tea time with tim coming up on this month's episode of tea time with tim we take a leaf albeit very loosely out of 10 marks that's 10 minute amiga retrocast book and let's take 10 minutes or so to talk about msx the wonder computer from japan that was set to take on the 8-bit world in the 1980s Hello, Dad. Can I have a computer? What you need, son, is a f***ed up the hooter. Computer's gonna cost me a leg and an arm. Not the Toshiba pack. They can't. Cost me a bomb. Things you need later. They're all thrown in. Keep your shirt on, Peter. What happens next year when it's out of date? No chance, Dad. This is MSX, mate. Oh, that's true. I'm the Queen of Sheba. And say hello, Tosh, to a new Toshiba. Sorry, couldn't resist throwing in that advert from 1985 from Toshiba. That was used as their marketing ploy to try and drum up sales for the Toshiba HX10 that was lagging in sales behind pretty much every 8-bit micro at the time. They did a bundle pack which had the computer, a cassette recorder and a bunch of bits and pieces uh, for around about £99, uh, which was really cheap for a 64K colour micro at the time. Anyway, back on with the show. During my time working in the computer shop in the mid-1980s, the main micros were the ZX Spectrum, Commodore 64 and Amstrad. All of these had prime real estate in the biggest part of the store to display the games and peripherals for the systems. But at the very back of the store, we had a glass display rack that contained games for the lesser systems. Like, for example, the ZX81, Acorn Electron, C16 and Plus 4, and of course, the MSX. The games that were mostly produced for the MSX and that we stocked in the shop were things like Mastertronic budget titles that had been converted from either the ZX Spectrum or the Amstrad, basically because they're the uh, Z80 counterparts. And this is what really didn't help the MSX in the UK market. We had lots of substandard conversions of games to eke out a little extra cash from the games produced for the, from the big three systems and just converted over. Very little ground-breaking exclusives came out on the MSX in the UK. There were, however, the Konami cartridge-based games that were brilliant games and often hidden, in the UK anyway, gems, uh, often that usually surpassing any game that's written on some of the other 8-bits, especially when it came to arcade conversions. 
But these cartridges were expensive, and until Toshiba came to market in the UK with the glut of the HX10s, the MSX was little known and obviously little owned. It was highly unlikely that someone was going to choose the MSX over the big three micros based on the exposure and popularity of the main systems compared to the MSX. What a shame it was that this 8-bit micro never got a foothold in the UK market and the big publishers paid it more than just some quick lip service in terms of cashing in conversions. With all that said, in other areas like Japan and Brazil, the MSX was going strong. It was almost the PC compatible of its time, with many of the big Japanese electronic companies making their own version of the MSX from the aforementioned Toshiba HX10, Sony with its hit-bit range, Yamaha with the versions of the MSX with MIDI to push it into the sequencing market, also Canon and Panasonic, just to name but a few really. There was loads and loads of different versions that the MSX made. That combined with Microsoft's involvement with the inclusion of Microsoft Basic. The MSX was jointly conceived by Microsoft and the ASCII Corporation in Japan. Microsoft supplied what's kind of known as the operating system, which is the inclusion of Microsoft Basic, which was renamed to MSX Basic version 1. The very first hardware version of the MSX was launched in 1983, that being the same year as the 48K Spectrum was launched in the UK. Mitsubishi launched the ML8000, which had 32K of RAM, a dedicated Texas Instruments TMS series graphics processor with 16K of video RAM, and a dedicated sound chip in the guise of the General Instruments AY38910A PSG, that's a programmable sound generator. This chip is also used in the Intellivision and the Vectrex and later on it would also make its way into the Amstrad CPC and the ZX Spectrum 128. As for connections, out of the box it had two 9-pin D-type joystick ports compatible loosely to the Atari standard but with the exception that it could use two buttons either A and B or 1 and 2, whichever one way you want to put it. Uh, it had an RF connector, which was required at the time, but also with the addition of a built-in uh, composite video and sound output. Another good selling point of the MSX was the inclusion of a cartridge port. This would generally be on the top of the system rather than at the back. This would allow ROM expansion cartridges, mostly in the form of games, coming from the lights of Konomi. There is also a cassette port for loading games from cassette tapes, handy for the European region, methinks. Later versions of the MSX would be expanded with 64K and two cartridge ports, and on the Sony HitBit versions, at least here in the European market, there was inclusion of the SCART RGB-style connector, which gave a really nice uh, picture quality once you were using that. 
Eventually, the MSX would be usurped by the MSX2, with upwards of 128k RAM. Many of these would also have built-in 3.5-inch disk drives, as most productivity software for the platform was being supplied on this format, with cartridge in Japan being very much the medium of choice for games, as it showed in some of the most important games getting its first released on the MSX, like Metal Gear series first being released on the MSX2 back in 1987. Another familiar series, the Bomberman series, first made its uh, actual name debut uh, from developers Hudson Soft on the MSX. This was actually initially released on the ZX Spectrum, being called very randomly Eric and the Floaters. There you go, you see. If you didn't know, Bomberman was first released on the humble ZX Specky. So if me talking about this has wet your MSX appetite, there are several ways you can get into it these days. The simplest and cheapest option is obviously emulation. There are lots of different ways. Uh, for me personally, uh, I run uh, Windows and I use Blue MSX and Open MSX. Um, if you wish to visit the Blue MSX website, um, it has an emulator directly built into the browser so there's no need for any downloads or anything like that it just boots up into a generic msx2 system when you visit the website um, and from there you can attach rom files and play games directly from the browser and that's simply by going to bluemsx.com the next option is an FPGA implementation from 8bitsforever.net that's 8 as in the number eight bits, B-I-T-S, number four, ever, E-V-E-R, dot net. They produce um, an implementation called SX1 Mini Plus. This is an FPGA board implementation of the MSX2, complete with a cartridge slot, VGA output, and a nine-way D-type ports for joystick, and I think also port two um, allows you to use MIDI breakout on that port. Unfortunately, this is un unavailable at the moment, like most FPGA. However, they do appear to have a new version that is in the works based on the MIDI ITX standard. This brings me neatly on to the SD loading options. 8-Bits Forever are also one of the best places to grab a device that you can use with either the FPGA or a real MSX. I use the SD1512. This is a good solution at around about £75. It's affordable. Not only does it allow loading of programs from SD card, but it's an essential thing for the original MSX systems with only 64K to map more RAM from the onboard uh, 512K RAM on the cartridge. So this will allow you to run games 128K+. Again, stocks are very limited at the moment. There is also a Carnivore 2, uh, which is a ROM RAM mapper. This uses a CF card and allows up to 1 meg of RAM to be mapped. These are more expensive at around about £120, but again, very limited runs are produced at the moment. And this brings me on to the real hardware. If you're going to use the SD or CF solutions, you can pick up an MSX here in the UK, for example, for around 
80 to 150 pound uh for like one of the sony or toshiba msx's which were more common over here however the msx2 is a fast appreciating in value and few and far between in europe and even less in the usa if you can get them from popular regions like uh, brazil or japan where the msx had the biggest impact but they're really still starting at around about £300 and go up from there. They're not cheap. Obviously, there are lots of other ways to experience the MSX. Retro Pi or Raspberry Pi has um, MSX emulation included. And of course, the Mr. FPGA has an MSX core. And there we go. That's around about 10 minutes all about the MSX. Phew. I think we just about squeezed that all in in time. Obviously, I haven't really covered the games here yet. Um, what I might do is I might do a follow up uh, probably after the 100th episode and we'll get down and we'll talk about some of the really cool games on the MSX. So that's it for this month's Tea Time with Tim. If you enjoyed this one, please do send me some feedback. If you've got any questions about the MSX, I'm more than happy to try and answer them for you contact us in the usual way unfortunately i'm not on twitter anymore um, i am on mastodon which is at sanction um, uh, you can also get me uh, through the show's uh, podcast email which is podcast at pixelguiden.com um, we're also um, on the amigos retro gaming network discord channel we've got our own channel on there so if you're a patreon please do feel free to um answer ask me any questions and if you've got any feedback on this episode i'm more than happy to hear it anyway until the next time thanks a lot bye Welcome to issue number three of three of Cody's Sega Genesis Shmup Review, uh, Cody's Corner segment here. This is the third of three, so I covered um, 45 minutes of games in episode one and 45 minutes of games in episode two, roughly, and you can find those on Pixel Guidance episode 95 and 96 respectively so i am on the final stretch here the home stretch we're going to go ahead and finish reviewing all 50 games i set out to review which is again more or less the entire uh, catalog of sega genesis shmups uh, barring a few um kind of obscure uh games i couldn't really find or, or i really don't apply um Nonetheless, uh, I'm going to go ahead and finish this up and then give you kind of my top five at the very end here. And uh, thank you guys for hanging out and hanging in there for this long. And let's jump right into the next game. Now, the next game on my list here might cause uh, a few eyebrows to raise. This is a game that I have heard a ton about. And to be quite honest with you, I've actually um, probably even recommended this game a few times because there's so much clout behind it. When you think of Sega Genesis shooters, a lot of people come up with this name first, and that name is Musha. It is a vertical scrolling shmup by Compile. Uh, Musha is apparently an acronym for Metallic Uniforce Super Hybrid Armor, which to me sounds like they came up with the acronym first and figured out what the words actually meant later. Um, this game... Uh, I'll be honest, I try to be very unbiased when I uh, review these games and, and you know give a first impression, but dig a little deeper and try to get to the meat of the bones. Um, this game is going to benefit a little bit 
uh, in my review from its uh, status that I've heard about. But realistically, it's the first time I've played it. Now, uh, when I first tried this game here, I started playing it um, and realized right off the bat that, you know, I have to admit there's a bunch of things it does that are nothing wrong with the game, but they happen to um, conflict with the, with things I like in my shmups. Uh, this does have the whole mechanized, you know, uh, robotic, what do you call them? You know, flying mech thing. It's not a, a vehicle or some other kind of shit. It's a giant, and I do mean giant. It's a big sprite. You're this big, almost beetle-looking mech thing with legs hanging out the back, and I'm just instantly not a fan of that. Um, so I started playing the game, and um, it, it was just kind of, it felt good, but it felt kind of generic. Um, if you had told, would, hadn't told me this game was Musha, I probably wouldn't have thought twice about it. Just said, oh yeah, this is a solid, you know, it's a solid, decent game. Um, you're, you're a very big sprite. So my first issue is that you start with a pea shooter, which you quickly upgrade, luckily. Um, but you are so large that it's really hard to dodge a lot of things, especially when the action really gets going later on in the game. Um, you do have two options, one to either side that you can pick up during the game. You have an A button, which moves where the options go in relationship to your body. Um, the B button will, will fire your options weapon, and your A button will fire your standard weapon, which you, again, can power up to get bigger and bigger. Um, you know, it's got that cool, uh, very Genesis-y soundtrack, although it's not great. It's just kind of okay. It's good. It's serviceable. Um in the background, you have these, you know, islands and water down below and the kind of floating base station thing. I don't know what all these games did within the 16-bit area, but they all figured that there were just these random girders hanging around floating in space that people lived on with buildings, ancient uh, Japanese buildings in this case, just kind of built on girders. I don't know how people got between the buildings or why they were so quick to defend their wooden buildings on these high-powered girder things. Very interesting. Um... It is interesting, I will admit, that the options float back and forth, and when you, sh- not the options, I'm sorry, the power-ups, when you shoot them, uh, each time you shoot it, a can will fly out the top, and then you have to catch the can, you can catch up to four of these cans, um, so it does kind of become, almost become a mini-game, shooting the cans in a spot as it goes back and forth across the screen, where you're going to be able to pick up the cans once you shoot them. Um, the game, as it got, went on, I, you know, I instantly already kind of made up my mind on what my opinion was on this but um had to i i stopped and said you know there's got to be something i'm missing there's got to be more to it because i've heard so much greatness about this game and it just seems really okay you know decent not amazing um so i had to look up a manual and and i did learn about the second button uh, firing the options which at first that button did nothing um i didn't see there's no bombs in this game like screen clearing bombs um as you play the game it is i wouldn't say it's generic it's better than generic but um there's nothing really new here um i would say there's eventually gets to be a lot of bullets and a lot of enemies on the screen almost to the point where it got a little frustrating to be honest with you because i couldn't tell if i was getting hit or not you don't like seem to make a noise or flash or anything when you get hit um there's no way that i'm i was dodging all those bullets i mean they looked like they're hitting me so I'm guessing there's some sort of health meter that I couldn't see on the screen, maybe? I don't know. I was expecting one-hit kills, but I was, you know, enemies were shooting lasers, and I would just go right across them sometimes and get hit, and I don't know what happened. It's 
Maybe the game is much deeper than I think it is, and I'm not catching all the mechanisms, but it really does seem like a pretty straightforward, okay shooter. Um, if I didn't know it was Musha, and I didn't have kind of the 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 bias against um, mechs, I'd probably give this... I'm going to give it a B, even though for, for me personally, it's probably a C. This is definitely not in the top five for me, maybe not even the top ten. Um, but I know a lot of people, you know, this is one of those big games that when retro game collecting started to become a big thing, this is one of the big titles, you know, this was one of the first hundred dollar games for the Genesis. Um, not sure how much it goes for right now, but, uh, for me, probably not worth it. So anyways, Musha by Compile. Twin Cobra is a Toplin vertical, uh, helicopter shooter, like World War II helicopter style shooter kind of a thing. Maybe Vietnam. I don't know. Um, the game starts out, you know, kind of uh, over the seas, coming in on the battlefield. And it's kind of uh, off of a, an aircraft carrier, if you will. Um, not a whole lot of extra personality charm or uniqueness to this game. Uh, but it seems to be a pretty solid uh, shooter starting right off the bat. It does have the uh, kind of early arcade... Uh, if I want to call it Silver Age of Arcade Games, uh, sound, um, one-hit kills where you stop the level and go back to the beginning or your last checkpoint kind of a thing. So kind of a, a an early-ish modern uh, vertical shooter. It's a deceptively easy game, but it's not easy at all. It's actually quite difficult. It's got that kind of old-school difficulty thing where you're trying to shoot uh, these large helicopters so that they let go of a power-up. Meanwhile, they're shooting back at you. And you'll die often um, because you're trying to get the power-ups that don't come down the screen. They kind of float towards the upper middle. Um, there's lots of tanks and uh, small enemies shooting at you. Uh, you know, simple bullets, not manic by any means. But, um, you know, there's enough going on on the screen that you're going to run into bullets pretty regularly. And uh, uh, it's kind of got a uh, almost a write-in feel to it. Um, it's interesting because there's not a whole lot to write home about here, but it is really fun, simple gameplay. Um, by holding the B button down, you will shoot auto fire, or you can tap the B button as well, and then the A and C buttons will drop a bomb that kind of clear uh, an area of the screen, I don't know, about a quarter of the screen, I suppose, uh, around your ship. Some of the weapons that you pick up will actually kind of change the gameplay a bit. There's a weapon uh, where you're shooting uh, forward, but also to the left and right, and it really changes the way you're playing the game. You, you do a lot more uh, side-swiping enemies to try to avoid fire that way. Um, you know, there's the kind of generic medium-sized tank boss at the beginning of, or the, the end of the first level. Um, there's no, like, special boss music or anything to indicate that it's a boss. It's just a big ship, a big boss at the end that kind of stops the scrolling, and you fight it, music continues as normal, and then you land on a, a battleship, and then you continue back off. So it really is kind of like an extension of, like, a 1942-style game. You know, if they made 1942, you know, eight years later or whatever, this is what you'd get kind of a thing. Um, you know, I, I do find the gameplay uh, enjoyable. I think it is a kind of a... The, the whole is better, greater than the sum of its parts type of a game. I would have a hard time giving this one a B per se, but a C seems a bit low. I'm just going to go with like a C plus type of a thing. Um, it's, a, it's a good game. It's a hard game. And if you don't keep your, your weapons up, it, uh, it becomes quite difficult quite quick. 
So uh, that's what I'm going to leave it with here with this Toplin game I have not heard of before. Next up on the list is yet another Toplin game I've never heard of before. Also starting with the word twin. This one is called Twin Hawk. Looks like it was released in 1992. It's another World War II, maybe World War I? Uh, kind of hard to tell. Uh, vertical scrolling arcade shmup. This is a uh, another game which um, the A and C buttons in this case fire. Although you cannot hold it down for auto fire, you do have to tap them repeatedly. And the B button is your bomb. Um, the bomb is interesting as it's not a typical bomb with the big explosion in the screen. You hit the button once and all these uh, fellow fighter planes will pop out to your wings, about six of them, I believe. Um, and then they'll shoot with you, along with you, kind of covering the screen, uh, while enemy fire will take them out. Uh, they'll stay as long as you keep shooting. However, if you hit the B button again, they will all dive bomb an area, kind of kamikaze style, towards the center of, a, of an enemy and destroy it. It's kind of unique that way. I'd say I think we have to compare this one to the previous game, Twin Cobra, as my guess is that these are related. They look very similar in theme and style, um, the way they play, the fact that when you die, you go back to uh, kind of the beginning of the level, which happened a lot. Uh, this game feels e even more difficult than, than Twin Cobra, almost to the point where it's not fun. Uh, honestly, it is slower. Uh, I will say the graphics look better. It looks more interesting, but the uh, enemies just, it's mostly tanks, at least in the first level. Um, I'll be honest, I haven't taken the time to actually try to get my way to the second level because it's kind of boring and frustrating and I don't see the point, um, which, you know, maybe it's not a full review, but I think it gives a good feeling for if the game is worth playing or not. Um, I... It's a playable game. It's not terrible. Music's okay. Sounds repetitive and kind of early arcade again. Um, even on easy, it's a pretty difficult game. I'm just going to have to give this one a D. Right from the beginning, the game Troubleshooter comes across exciting with these girls driving a car and messing up the Sega logo. Intense anime uh, cutscenes. Uh, you're a pair of girls named Madison. Um, you can hear the music in the background here. Um, and Crystal, I believe. And you get excited right off the bat with the excitement this game kind of presents itself as. Moving forward, uh, you start the game and you get to select which engine you want to put in your vehicle. Um, kind of unique that you can change a few things out. Pretty cool. And then that's kind of where the fun stops. The, uh, the game does look good. The music is rocking all the way through. Um, the graphics look great. And you want to play this game... However, they got a little too creative, in my opinion, with the style of gameplay. You are, um, again, Madison and Crystal, these two women who are um, floating on jetpacks back-to-back, -back, but offset. I don't know how to describe that. Um, the blonde-haired one is kind of in the front, up high, uh, and then about halfway down her body length, uh, the, the brunette is behind her facing backwards to start the game. So you're firing forwards and backwards at the same time, but kind of off-kilter, uh, if that makes sense. And you can hit the C button to switch the, um, the girl shooting backwards to be shooting forwards. So now you're kind of shooting two beams forwards, uh, slightly offset as well, uh, which makes it play more like a traditional uh, horizontal shmup. However, there's things coming from the back of you all the time as well, so you have to focus on both both directions. Unfortunately, this presents you with a very big target to get hit, and uh, 
the game is very frustrating. The controls, although they work well, the the design of the game, I can't click with it, and it, I just find it frustrating, difficult to avoid things. You kind of fail forward, if you will. And um, the A button shoots like a special weapon. But ultimately, it's a game I can't get into. I, I mean... I just don't enjoy it at all. I hate to have to give it an F, but for me, this game is going to be an F. Um, this, unfortunately, brings me to the next game on my list, which is Troubleshooter 2, also known as Battle Mania, um, which, when I loaded up, had a very similar intro. And I'm like, man, did they just reskin the, the first game? And as I played, I just realized this must just be uh, titled Troubleshooter 2 in a different part of the world, or Battle Mania in a different part. I don't know. It's the same game. Um, so it's going to get the same grade. It's, it's going to get an F. That's all there is to it. The next game on my list is, I believe, a Japanese exclusive from a company called, is it TESoft? I'm not terribly familiar with it, but it is in Japanese. Uh, it's called Undead Line. And when I first loaded this game up, got pretty excited. Um, as it looks a lot like one of my favorite Genesis games, which is Elemental Master. You even start out being able to pick if you want to go to the forest, the rock, which is like lava, by the way, uh, the cemetery, the ruins, the cave, or the drain, uh, which I would call a sewer, but they call it a drain. Um, nonetheless, this game is uh, interesting as it is a vertical scrolling shooter in the way that... Um, in, in the way the Elemental Master is, except you only shoot forward, it, but it is a RPG, I don't know about RPG, it's a fantasy based, you know, sh- a shooter where you're a, a knight kind of a guy in these fantastic lands um, scrolling, walking up the screen and there's creatures and brimfire and some of them shoot, some of them fly and attack. Um, it's an okay looking game, Um it's very unique that there is a ton on the screen at every given time. It is very, very, very difficult. Um, you're hitting the, the B button to shoot. If you hold the C button, you put a shield out in front of you, which can block uh, like projectile and um, projectiles from certain enemies. Um, there are also these chests that you can that you can shoot and each time you shoot it the power up the chest gives you changes so it could be a sword or some kind of orb weapon or a shield um i cannot get i, I played multiple levels here i cannot get past a level at this point it is a difficult game i feel like there's a lot going on here and it should be it's a game i'm going to look into more potentially but i think you have to really give this one some time um i think it might be getting up there in the b territory but the difficulty is a huge barrier to entry. So I'm going to give this one a C for the time being. Vapor Trail is a vertical scrolling arcade shmup, again with that um, arcade slash Genesis sidebar on the right where it gives you your stats while you're going vertically up the screen. Um, this game has a feel that I've seen, I've felt in some other shmups where everything feels very kind of skinny and vertical. I don't know how to describe it better than that. You have a skinny ship, enemies are skinny, and they come down the screen, and uh, forward and back movement seems a lot more effective than left and right movement. Uh, most of your bullets are small and, and linear, kind of going up the screen as well. Um, the concept of the game it seems to be uh, more or less uh, modern jets at the time in the 90s, um, kind of a version of modern 
actual um, military jets that were used. But then, you know, we're play, playing halfway through the level. All of a sudden, some crazy add-ons get out of here, jet, and they're not shooting uh, little projectiles. You're shooting these big old, like, half moons and things like that. All of a sudden, the tank that you're fighting, it takes off, and it's hovering over the ground on some kind of jets as well. And so it's kind of like, you know, modern, you know, futuristic steampunk, right? Modern day, if, it, if things were different, right? <laughs> um, the, the gameplay... <laughs> It's, it's solid. It's not bad by any means. It feels kind of uninspired. Um, some of the weapons, the, the weapons get a bit crazy, and some of them I just downright don't like. Like there's this orb shot where you're shooting these circles, 360 degree circles of orbs like outward from your ship. So you're just blasting kind of everything at once without being able to directly attack any one thing that you're trying to attack. Um, I really don't like that power up. Um, you've got this this power up gauge on your side, so that, you know if you hold down the button, the attack button, you're shooting, but you can use your bomb, and it kind of does different things based on how much power you've uh, accumulated, which I believe is just time based how how long the bar fills up. Um, you do have lives, uh, kind of through you can take multiple hits in this game before you actually die, but uh, and it looks it looks pretty good. It's got it's got a good looking um, graphical aesthetic to it. The music's pretty rocking, uh, not amazing but solid. And um, you know it it could be a B tier game, but there's just something about it keeping it as a as a kind of an average Genesis sh- shooter to me. Uh, I'm gonna give this one a C. The next game on my list I have also never heard of. It is a game from a company called Asmic. Um, and it's called Veritrix. Veritex. Veritex? A 1991 game, um, which uh, is a vertical scrolling shooter that does take up the entire screen left and right. It doesn't do the arcade thing where it blocks off the corner of the game. Uh, very much a space shooter. This is a game that has kind of that, um, you know, a starfield background but there's these random i have no idea why they're there uh, like space scaffolding in the foreground that scrolls by you can actually run into it and, and blow up there's parts of it that you need to blast through to get through the scaffolding um right off the bat there's a bunch of uh, really cool popcorn enemies good chunky enemies not necessarily big or small just kind of medium sized um your ship is is simple and defined but looks good um, you get a lot of power-ups right at the beginning, so you feel powerful, and you're able to blast through a lot of things, and just right off the bat feels uh, very good and very fun to play. The music has this kind of um, techno-y, upbeat, very full of hope, like Last Starfighter kind of feel to it. It's good. Um, it's energetic. It fits the, the game well. Um, in, the, in this game, A, uh, holding down A will do your normal shot, and B is your bomb have not found out if C does anything at this particular point. Now, I do have to point out, in the first level, you're moving along, and all of a sudden the background does this kind of vertical parallax thing that is a cool effect until you realize there's like three minutes of gameplay where that effect is going on, and it's really hard to see anything that's happening on the screen, enemies, bullets, any of that. Um, I should say the bullets were fairly obvious. The enemies were almost impossible to see, so that was kind of a bummer. Um, but, you know, very large boss and uh, pretty cool aside from, from that one little flaw there. The second level actually is better than the first. The music's better. Everything about it's 
better. The pacing's better. It is not an easy game. It's a hard game, um, I've noticed. But what I like is when you die and you go back to the last checkpoint, they make sure you get powered up pretty quick. So it doesn't have that, that Gradius issue where you're underpowered trying to get back to the point where you're powerful enough to keep moving on. You, you get your stuff back at least enough to, to get you past the next part. Um, a second level is more like a rocky red Mars kind of a theme, and, and a lot of the enemies, big enemies, have missiles that follow you. But um, I feel this is a game that the more you play it, the more you learn the patterns, and you're going to get better and better by experience, which is a definite plus. Um, you know what? I, I have, even though I've never heard of Veritex, I'm going to have to give this one a, a solid B. Really enjoy this game, and I can see myself coming back to it soon. The next game is an isometric game, uh, believe it or not. It is a game released by Sammy on the Genesis called Viewpoint. And if I remember correctly, I believe this came out actually on the Neo Geo hardware uh, in the arcades first, potentially. Um, let me just put it this way. If you want to take a uh, relatively good action game and ruin it, put it in isometric. Um, this game is beyond frustrating to me uh, i don't think the isometric style works for action games like this they include uh, drop shadows to kind of help you tell where your ship is in relationship to the ground and bullets and enemies um ultimately what it does is make your field of view so narrow that it's hard to tell what's coming until it's already on top of you uh makes it hard to tell where your ship is in relationship to bullets um and on the genesis specifically it's so taxing on the hardware, the entire game is just slow down the entire time. Music is kind of corny. Not terrible, but um, I, don't, I mean, I think the actual game design is potentially cool. Um, unique enemies. You're kind of, it's a kind of a corridor shooter. You're going down these, it's like, I don't know, uh, almost Death Star tunnel run kind of thing, except a lot more lighthearted. Um, there's some cool parts in there where, you know, of course you have enemies and stuff, uh, large enemies, small enemies. Some of the enemies take way too many hits. That's another thing. But there's some cool parts where they have like these large, uh, gates that go across the entire screen and you have to go to the end and find the mechanism and shoot it in just the right way to kind of scroll back the gate to get through it. Um, there's some fun thoughts and things here, but, um... Yeah, and, and power-ups where you get these options, one on each side of you, so your ship is shooting in the center and your options are, are shooting to the left and to the right view as well. But uh, ultimately, you just find it extremely frustrating. Um, this is yet another game where A and C are the bomb, and B is your regular shot. Now, you can hold your shot to charge it up and release a big shot, which can take out a whole line of enemies, which is pretty cool and satisfying. Adds for some, some unique strategy in the gameplay. And then the bombs, um, you'll see them at the bottom of your screen. There's a red, green, and blue bomb. They all kind of act differently, um, so they're kind of unique to know what, what bomb you have next and how to use it. Um, but ultimately, I just quite literally, the viewpoint of viewpoint kills the game for me. Um, I, it's not an F. I'm going to give it a D, but it's not something I'm coming back for. I'll put, I'll put it that way. The next game on the list is a horizontal shmup called Whiprush by Renovation. Um, first thing I noticed right off the bat is this game has, I mean, it's, it's basically the R-type ship and it's a horizontal shooter. Um, they kind of take the R-type ship and kind of squeeze it to make it a little fatter, uh, vertically. Um, but that's about it. Um, some unique mechanics in this game in that, uh, the A button will help you change your speed, but it's done with a, um, kind of a gauge that has seven bars on it as you hold the b button it'll go to the top of the gauge and go to the fastest and then eventually work its way back down to the bottom and kind of undulate like that so you kind of have to hold the button until you get the speed you want for the area you want 
A little frustrating to use, but it comes in handy in certain parts where you want to go slower, like when there's corridors and things and get a lot faster when it's wide open and you're having to make quick maneuvers. Um, you hold down B to, to shoot rapid fire in front of you. Obviously, you get lots of cool different weapons, things like that. You also will get options on the top and bottom of you, and holding the C button will manipulate those options in certain ways. Um, music is very classic Genesis, uh, you know, the zing, zang, bing, bong sounds. Um, decent, not, not memorable, but decent music. Uh, kind of fits the genre as well. To me, the biggest drawback from this game is that there's a lot of stuff that will come onto the screen behind you. Um, there's no way to turn your ship around, and you spend a lot of your time basically trying to find a way to get things to follow you towards the front of the screen so you can go up and around behind them to shoot them. And when you do that, more stuff comes out from the top or the bottom of the screen and gets you again. Um, I've always found that frustrating. It is kind of cool how, even though it's a horizontal scrolling shooter, sometimes the screen will scroll vertically, um, although the gameplay is still a horizontal sh shooter regardless of, of uh, which way the uh, screen, I guess, scrolls. There are some, some clever enemies in this game, some clever bullet patterns and uh, enemy attack patterns as well. Um, uh, however, one frustration is that although there is a different sound when you hit the enemies, there's no flashing or anything to indicate that you're hitting them uh, in the right spots. So uh, with the amount of sound effects and things that are going on the screen at once, you don't always get to hear the sound effects proving to you that you're hitting the right spot. So you're kind of left wondering. Some enemies take a while to kill, and you're like, am I doing it wrong? Am I hitting something? Am I not hitting something? Um, that's something to keep in note. Ultimately, it's, it's a game that has a lot of pluses, and I probably would like to spend more time with it, um, but it doesn't grab me. I think it's just going to be a, a solid average uh, C-style uh, shmup on the Genesis. Now, the very next game is another horizontal scrolling shmup. Um, it's called XDR for short. I believe this is a Japanese-only game. No idea why they wouldn't import this game, um, but I guess the full name is X Dazedly Ray Unipace. No, no idea what X Dazedly Ray is supposed to mean. If that's supposed to mean something, if that's just a made-up word, I have no idea. Um, this game, right, right off the bat, you start playing it. You hear the, the uninspired music and super, um, I don't know, the corny weapons and graphics. They, oh, it looks very 8-bit-y, but... I mean, it's better than 8-bit. I don't know what to tell you. It, it feels like a shareware game on, like, an old DOS uh, cover disc. Um, game is, is boring. It's a boring game. Now, one thing I will say that's interesting about it is if you like old the old Scramble, classic arcade game Scramble, this is basically 16-bit Scramble. Um, I don't know if you can hear it in the background here while I'm playing it here, but you have to mash the A button to shoot. If you hold it, you will, will auto-fire very, very slowly. It's worthless. Um, enemies come at you, and there's also enemies on the ground, and your B button will drop, you know, an, arc, an arcing mis missile kind of a thing. Um, but it's frustrating. Your bullets get stopped by anything in the way from hitting enemies behind it, so you have to kind of sneak over the top of things and try to come down quick or drop a missile to hit these things. Um, I, I mean, I guess it's if you really like Scramble, if, and if that really rings a bell for you, and you don't look at this compared to other Genesis games, I can see how this game uh, could give you some fun. Um, I wouldn't say don't play it. I wouldn't say it's not worth playing. I, I, it could be a really good game for the right person with the right um, 
mental attitude, I, I suppose. Um, uh, do I give this a C? Do I give it a D is really the question. I mean, it's, it's not, it's better than an F. It's playable. Um, and for the right person, this game might be a C. I'm going to, I think I'm going to have to stick with deep. I'll give it a D plus. I'll give it the benefit of the doubt here. Next up, we have Xenon 2. That's right, the classic arcade shooter Xenon. Apparently it has a sequel, and apparently it's on the Genesis. Um, if you look up screenshots of this game, it looks really cool. It's big and chunky. Um, really cool color palette with these... Uh, the first level has these blue like rocks. Almost has an underwater feel, but this kind of um, viscous alien-like... Um, on the landscape kind of showing off in the background with the star field behind that. Uh, very blue, very, um, very xenon looking to, to a point. Um, and, but as soon as the game starts, it's slow and chunky, uh, not chunky, uh, choppy, uh, to no end. In fact, I'm just going to, you can hear some sound in the background. Man, it feels like I'm playing on an emulator at half speed. Um, I, I mean, I can't even rate the game as it probably is supposed to be played. I hope there's another version. Maybe I'll go out and look and see if there's another version of this of Xenon 2 somewhere. Uh, maybe it was actually an arcade game that was released. I don't know. Uh, but as it is on the Genesis, man, it's not worth me trying to even play through the first level. Like, it is, um, it is dog doo-doo. Uh, the gameplay ruined this thing because I think... It had some very cool visuals going for it, very cool aesthetic with these kind of weird protoplasmic, like underwater uh, prehistoric dinosaur-looking alien kind of things. Um, I really like a lot of the of, of it. Uh, music, there is absolutely none. Uh, there are repetitive kind of simple sounds, which you might be hearing in the background here, and that's about it. Uh, this is an F game. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> As much as I want it to be much more than that, this is an F game, unfortunately. Xenon 2. Now that brings us up to the very last game of the three-part review here, and that is the classic game, classic because it's an internet meme at this point, from Toplin, called Zero Wing. That's right, if you uh, remember a while back, everyone was uh, referencing all your, all your base are belong to us. Um, you know, the translation error... Uh, it, it's always funny when those things don't translate to correct English, uh, like my own English apparently doesn't either. And uh, so let's let's go ahead and give this actual game a shot. I don't think I've played a whole lot of it. I just know it from the internet meme. And let's see if we can end this Genesis Shmup review on a high note. I was greeted to a wonderful little animated entry uh, sequence when I loaded this bad boy up. The ship also does kind of have a very R-type vibe to it. Um, and I would say that the the actual gameplay, horizontal shmup gameplay, is is very um, R type meets Gradius, um, but it does it. It definitely does it its own way. Um, the the ship is uh, everything. Everything is very kind of chunky. It, all the enemy sprites and everything seem like they'd fit in one or two square boxes, if that makes sense. But they're rounded in a good way. I, I don't know how to describe that better. Um, it definitely has its own kind of uh, Japanese unique aesthetic. Uh, a lot of the the enemies and things seem to almost very insect inspired, but they're clearly like ships and things, except for some of the big bad guys. Um, you get uh, different power ups that give you different weapons. Uh, the first thing you're going to get is a couple of options: one above you and one below you, which allow you to shoot 
a little bit higher and a little bit lower than your ship is. Uh, and what I love is when you go through like tunnels, those options kind of squeeze in next to you to fit through the tunnels. Kind of a cool uh, mechanism there. There are enemies on the ground as well as coming down at you um, and, uh, and some on the ceiling when you go through certain aspects of the game as well. Um, everything just feels really well paced. It's a good amount of difficulty without being overly difficult. It's, just, it's, a, it's a perfect kind of challenge. I like it very much. Um, you can fire these kind of heat-seeking bullets. Uh, you have... Um, you know, your lasers, you've got your standard pew-pew bullets. Um, and the, the other interesting thing is you've got your, your A button, which which auto-shoots for you, but your B button is not a bomb, it's a tractor beam. And I don't, I haven't found a great use for it, but it's really fun to play with. You can literally use it to just suck up uh, your, your power-ups uh, as well as run into them. You can also use it to grab enemies, which is fun because if you can grab like a large ship in front of you and you can just use it to like, you can throw it at another ship or you can hold onto it and ram it, like just hold, hold it in front of you and ram that into another ship to blow both of them up. It's fun to play with. I don't know if it's necessary, but it is very cool. Um, music's solid. Gameplay is solid. And I would have to say that the bosses are solid. They are very Gradius-inspired. They even have, like, the... It doesn't say shoot the core, but all these bosses have, you know, multiple cores that you're trying to shoot with other things going around that make each boss battle kind of unique in its own strategy. Um, They don't do anything to reinvent the wheel, but they... Except for that tractor beam, which is fun. Um, But it's solid 2D side-scrolling gameplay. It's the game I'm probably going to try to go back and beat. Very happy that... uh, this game that has so much, uh, you know, early internet memory going on is actually a good game. So, uh, end it on a on a very high note here. BB plus somewhere in that territory. Great game, Zero Wing, to finish out these Genesis shmups segment. So there we have it. That is uh, roughly, if not exactly, fifty shmups, depending on if you want to count a couple of those games like Troubleshooter and Troubleshooter Two. Um, some surprises. Uh, I, w- I thought I'd enjoy uh, Musha a lot more, knowing how big of a name that game had going on to it. A couple other games that I saw screenshots of that I thought I was going to like very much or had really cool themes end up being duds. And there's a lot of fun surprises as well. But let me go ahead and just list off. Uh, I won't go in any particular order, but my five favorite shmups uh, on the Genesis after playing this. Uh, it goes without saying, Elemental Master is still up there for me. One of my favorite games on the Genesis, period. I've spent a lot of time with the game, and I absolutely love it. So that one is absolutely going to stay there. Um, you know, Arrow Blasters was a solid game. That one got to be. You've got uh, Dangerous Seed, which was a fun little game by Namco that I was surprised by. Go back and listen to that one. Um, but I think it started with Grey Lancer. Uh, I'm sorry, Glay Lancer. Uh, where I was actually like, man, I, I, I can't believe I missed this game. Really, really great game uh, from a developer. I don't know if they had made too many other games, but Glay Lancer definitely shot up into my rankings. That's in my top five, along with Elemental Master. Hellfire by Toplin and NCS. Um, man, that game was, was really cool as well. Uh, had some very cool, unique things going on there that kind of pushed it above, uh, you know, just kind of your standard Genesis shmup fare, in my opinion. Um, uh, it's surprising that, that, uh, Felios, which I have played in the past, uh, is, is potentially looking at my list as well. Uh, but it's unique. It's got a fantasy theme and I just, I can't stop playing it, even though I can't put a, a finger on what makes it as good as it is. Um, the Thunder Force series, you know, 
no no surprise there. I would say all those games are going to be up there as well. But I'm going to have to put Truxton, which I finally played for the show, um, up there near the, the top, the pinnacle of the Genesis games as well. And that, my friends, ends the top five as well as top 50, all 50 Genesis shmups. Thank you for going on this ride with me. I hope some of these games you'll go out and, and, and play now because you've heard of them. And maybe you'll avoid uh, some of the duds we talked about, Action 52. Oh, my goodness. That was terrible. So um, I will maybe do one of these again. Uh, maybe not shmups. Maybe a different system, different genre of games. But uh, it got me to play a lot of games that I never tried before. So if you have any suggestions, please hit me up in our email and or find me on Twitter at oddball, O-D-B-A-1149. Thank you much, and I'll talk to you guys soon. Six Good Games! And welcome, welcome, one and all, to Six Good Games. Eric, what are we covering this month? This month, I picked the topic, and the topic was games that have a cooking mechanic or have cooking involved in them. Okay. And I will let you decide. (laughs) I will let you decide what that means. I'm going to... We're just going to be a little loosey-goosey with the definition here, so anything's going to so, go as long as it has so, some kind of cooking of food in it. Yeah, in our, in our notes, I have games that involve cooking. That's right. So that's fair. Let's do it. Yeah. And yeah. do you want to talk about the ones that didn't make it first, or do you want to wait till we're done and talk about those last? Yeah, we'll, we'll wait on them. Let's, let's, we'll put them last. Sounds good. You want to go first? I'll go first. So this, this gave me an excuse to, to play an NES game that I've been wanting to play for a long time. Yep. Finally got a chance to do it. I think it is the most, or not the most, but I guess the most uh, rare, most expensive um, NES game that was actually publicly released. Really? Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. In fact, it'd be fun to, to look up the uh, the price of this thing. Oh, wait. I take it back. Why are these? These must be fake. These are fake. Yeah, these are new cartridges. That's why. Okay. Uh, but the game is called Panic Restaurant. Here we go. Yeah, we're looking at around eight to nine, eight to nine hundred dollars for a loose cart of Panic yeah. Restaurant. Um, I, th- I believe it was re- released late in uh, here we go, nineteen ninety two. Developed in uh, by EIM and published by Taito for the Nintendo Entertainment System. And Panic Restaurant stars a chef named Cookie. He yeah. must navigate through his own restaurant, which has been cursed by a rival chef named Odav or Odov or Odave or something like that. Uh, who cares about the story? The game itself is a, a pretty straightforward, uh, fairly simple, um, medium-challenged kind of platforming game. Here we go. I'll pull it up right here. And... So this one actually has some nostalgia for me, not because I've ever played it before, because I never have, but I had a Nintendo Power that had this game in it. Yeah. And I remember specifically seeing that that boss that we just saw there briefly, which was kind of a, a container of Jiffy Pop, <laughs> the popcorn that you have in a little pan that you shake and the foil expands as it pops. Yeah. That's one of the bosses in this game. And I remember seeing that and wanting to play this game so bad as a kid, and I never got around to playing it until this month for this episode. So, uh, Panic Restaurant uh, is a game where you are a chef and you have a frying pan as your your main weapon. Um, there's the rival chef, apparently. I'm not going to pretend I read the story and cared about it. I just wanted to play the game. And uh, it's almost 
it, yeah, you're like this fat, chubby Chef Boyardee-looking chef with a big frying pan. Although you, uh, some of the the uh, power-ups you get are like a large spoon, which makes your your weapon attack that much bigger. Um, there's lots of different weapons that you can collect during this game, but ultimately the the enemies themselves um, are pretty big and chunky food items that that attack you. <laughs> yeah, um, you've got that right there. It looks like a flan. It's a flan on a plate with legs that flops around. There's pizzas <laughs> that are rolling at you here. Um, it's really straightforward. I don't know what else to say. I keep saying that, but it is, it is, a, it's not easy. It is a good medium difficulty, um, and you can collect coins when you kill enemies. You want to collect those coins, kind of like fantasy, uh, fantasy zone where the coins bounce for a little while. Eventually, they run out and, and bounce lower and lower until they disappear. So you want to get them fairly quick, and those coins will end up. Um, allowing you to play a a uh, one arm bandit, right? A, uh, a slot machine yeah. in between levels. There's lots of mini games like right here. If you find these secret little areas within levels, uh, right here you're trying to catch fish that are jumping out of the ocean for some reason. There's some other mini games uh, that I've played on here as well. But uh, super simple, straightforward, pretty. I uh, like the color palette platformer. There's another weapon right there. You're, you get a big fork that you bounce on like a pogo stick, almost like ducktails. Um, I mean, you have lives in the form of a chef's hat. You have, um, you know, health in the form of these hearts, which yeah. that could have been more creative. They could have, I don't know, used something food related. But and um, you know, you've got you, you've got your weapon. You've got your your time per level. You've got here you go your, your first boss you're fighting here after the popcorn boss is a microwave that's bouncing around <laughs> and there's some some chickens coming out i don't know it's not it's not groundbreaking by any means but it's a solid fun platformer that i think uh i would give it a solid it's not an a that doesn't do anything over the top it's just a solid fun b game that's absolutely worth playing here here's the um yeah this this is the only thing i didn't really feel, figure out so that mini game between levels where you can play a, a slot machine. It's kind of like a more modern slot where you actually can play different lines. You can play one line down the middle or two, three, four, five. Um, I never won a darn thing. It's actually like a real slot machine, and that way it's really hard. And I couldn't find a way to skip it, so you kind of had to play all your money into slot machines in between. You just kind of press the button and hope and lose oh. and then move on. Yeah, hope you get it. Hope you get something. Um, yeah, I, I, and, and what I do like about this game is uh, it's challenging enough where once I got to like level towards the end of level three, I had to use a continue to keep going. Uh, level four, I kind of uh, that's kind of where I stopped. But you're not limited on continues, so it's kind of like uh, Castlevania or something like that, where you can keep playing and keep trying the level from the very beginning over and over again. Yep. Um, and you'll get better as you go. Here's another mini game where you have a you're holding a frying pan out and birds are are flying by and dropping eggs, but sometimes they'll drop a bomb, and you have to catch the eggs, not the bombs, and not the bombs. That's a game kind of like on the Atari 2600. Um, I mean, I can't remember it. But. Yeah, the one with the burglar, it was a kaboom. Yes, kaboom, <laughs> kaboom. Yep, that's the cool. I I have heard of this game, and it is on my list of games that I wanted to get to eventually. But I never have, so maybe this is the opportunity for me to try to play this. It looks like it looks like a solid little platformer. And yeah, you're not cooking, but you are literally a cook, and you yeah. are using cooking utensils against the food that you cook. 
Yep. It's a cooking-inspired game, Eric. There's a carrot. It's a lady carrot because she has big eyelashes. I'm not sure why there's floating clouds that shoot lightning at you. That doesn't make sense. But, um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's fun. It's, it's simple. It's fun. It's one of those games that you can pop on for 10 minutes and have fun with it or try to put on for a night. And if you spend one night with it, you'll probably beat it. I, have, I didn't spend a full night, so I didn't quite beat it. Yeah. Um, there's some, some uh, kebabs and a, a chicken running around on its legs, but like a, a ready-to-be-cooked chicken, not yeah. a live chicken. So there you go. Looks great. I, Pan- I think Panic it looks, Restaurant looks like a fantastic game. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna want to try this out. Sure thing. My first one is a game called Shay Maxime. I think Ooh, that's how you pronounce Shea. it. Shay Maxima <laughs> Maxime. Um. So uh, while you're pulling up the video on that, so we can take a look at it, I'm gonna read this right from Happy Coders website because this is a friend of ours he sends us games remember he sent us the asteroids game um that on the zx spectrum yes um, a bunch of other games i mean this guy's a fantastic coder he has a streaming channel so this, is a new, this is newer game then this is a newer game yes oh cool okay but it is based on an old game which i will read to you shay maxime i'm gonna i'm just gonna say that i don't know what how it yep. really thinks. shay maxime is a French game published in 1983 for the Philips Video Pack. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. That's also known uh, Mag- Magnavox yeah, Odyssey Two. Also known as the Magnavox Odyssey Two, a console first released in 1978. The game was rediscovered by the ARG Presents YouTube channel from you know Amigo <laughs> Aaron and the Brent from uh, our our affiliate. Yep. The Amigos. Um, the game was rediscovered by the ARG Presents YouTube channel as a hidden gem. And this is the first time this obscure but delightful little game is playable on any other system for a wider audience to enjoy. As always, this game is free to those who support me on Patreon. That's Happy Coder. If you would like to join, blah, blah, blah. Um, which I suggest you do because this is a great guy. Patreon.com slash Happy Coding ZX ZX. Um, so the, I will tell you the Odyssey, uh, two version does not look like this. He added a lot of flair to this game. Okay. So there's a lot of really cool animations. I'm going to look at it. Is it spelt the same? Uh, sure. Yes. It's exactly the same. Yep. But it's for the Magnavox. Yep. Um, man. I'm, I'm checking it out cause I, I really want to see the original version. Yeah. Then. So Shay is S H. C H E Z. I put go. checks. Oops. Checks. Now I put che. It's I put che like uh, like the poster with there the guy go. on it. That should be it. Uh, yeah. Oh well, that's the new version. Huh. All right. I'll have to look later. I'm not finding it. Go yeah. For it. It's it's a much imagine this, but a much simpler version, like almost like more of an Atari 2600 kind of version. Yeah. But so what the thing is on this game is at the bottom of the screen there is a chef and he is cooking. And he does, he, he'll take his break where he likes, you know, sits there and smokes like a French, you know, chef does. And then sometimes <laughs> he will sit there and cook and he goes, moves to the right. You don't control the chef. The chef is part of the game. He goes to the right and he puts the food on like this kind of dumb waiter thing. It's like a little yep. elevator. That elevator. There's like three levels or four levels on this game. One where the chef is and then there's tables on each level of this restaurant 
And patrons will come in to sit at the desk and then they order something. And your job is you're the waiter. So your job is to run over and grab the food on the dumbwaiter and deliver it to the people. The faster you do that, the more points you get. Now, there's challenges. There's a dog that runs around, and if he gets to the dumbwaiter first, he will grab the food and steal it, and then you don't get the food to deliver. Now, if you reach the dog first, you can kick him. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Kick let, the dog. Let's not uh, get, get uh, PETA involved in this. But yep, yep, yep. You kick the dog, and he runs away, and then you can deliver the food to where it needs to go. If the people get angry, and look, by the way, do you see that guy with the beard and the headphones? Yeah. That's Aaron. <laughs> so, that, so Happy Coder put Aaron and the Brent in this Aww. game. In fact, I, I think that's a, both of them. There's the Brent there. right there, yeah. I think that's the Brent wearing his hat. He's always wearing that hat. Yep. So that's the Brent, and then there was Aaron. So um, Happy Coder put those guys in the game, which I think is really neat. But anyway, back to the gameplay. You deliver the food. Now, when the when the food doesn't get delivered on time, like it's getting too late, they start to vibrate and get colorful, <laughs> okay. which means they're angry. And they will start – if you notice in the bottom, there's a score, but there's also a reputation. You don't want to see the Brent angry. If you deliver the food fast enough, your reputation goes down, and then your your score doesn't get as high. So basically – Oh, the, the dog got that one. Yeah, so basically this is kind of a manic – kind of arcade style game. I was going to say almost like a game and watch game. Almost. Yeah. Yep. But, but you can see, I mean, it, it, I, I see how Aaron's getting mad and he was starting. Aaron, to get, Aaron, got, he was getting, Aaron got angry there. He was starting to get angry because he didn't get his food. And that when you start, when they start to bounce up and down, they're getting angry. This game, it's a blast to play and you can play it on your 48 K ZX spectrum. I mean, this game, um, that's so cool. I want to be. I want to. My face is not in a video game yet, Eric. Well, we need to. We need to solve we, that. We got your names in certain video games. We got buddies now that are in video games. You know. But I've never a been a character. Out here. I've never been a character in a video game, so that would be fun to do. Yep. Very cool. So anyway, this is called Shay Maxime for the ZX Spectrum. Um, it's a. It's a. It's a blast. It's a fun game. It's a high. It's an arcade style game. You will love it if you uh, have a ZX Spectrum or have an emulator. You can play this on. So that's my first choice. Cool. For my second choice, this is probably the furthest thing from a cooking game. So I apologize, Eric. It is a food game, Yoshi's Cookie, where I'm just I'll make I'm gonna make I'm gonna bend the the story to fit my um, sure what I'm trying to do here. So. It is called Yoshi's Cookie, and there is a chef off screen cooking cookies, yeah, and and tossing them towards Yoshi. In fact, my version, the version I played, was on the Game Boy, which I think all good um, falling block puzzle strategy, action strategy, whatever games, puzzle games should be played on the Game Boy. It just feels right, uh, but it's also on a lot of other things, including the NES, the Super NES, and there's some modern versions of it too. Um. I love a good falling block puzzle game. Okay. Obviously, like Tetris, but I really love a game that I've talked about on the show here before called Tetris Attacks. Um, it's also, which is like a Mario-ized version of a game in Japan called uh, Puzzle de Pawn. <laughs> um, so if you ever played uh, Tetris Attacks or Puzzle de Pawn, this game is more in that vein, but it's, it's an interesting one. So it's a game where you've got cookies, 
you know what's interesting is they are playing a mode I did not play right there. Here you go. Here's the here's the real game. Okay, that was like I the, the puzzle to, mode. I've never played this game before, so I want to know how to play this. So go ahead. So it's interesting. It's going to be hard to describe on the radio. You kind of have to see it. But basically, you, you start in stages, and you've got all these different cookies in a grid to start with. They're kind of in the uh, they're kind of packed together in the bottom left-hand corner of the screen. And you've got Mario and Yoshi up there ready to send cookies from either the top, uh, the bottom, or the upper left right-hand corner of the screen. And so cookies will come at you. And um, you are basically able to use your reticle. You've got this little plus sign um, to select a cookie on your on your grid. They're moving so quick here, Eric. It's gonna be hard to explain, but to select a cookie on your gr- grid, and if you hold down the button, the A button or whatever it is, and press up, that entire row will will scroll one cookie over. Or if you press left or right, the whole I'm sorry column and rows if that makes sense so column will, will rotate one cookie at a time or the row will rotate one cookie at a time and you're basically trying to make it so that all of the cookies in a column or a row match so for example if you've got a heart cookie a i'm going to call it a checkerboard cookie a chocolate cookie and a diamond shaped cookie you want to move those rows until that the entire row is all heart shaped cookies or all block cookies or whatever and so you're just constantly moving rows and columns up and down, trying to position things to to get rid of them. Meanwhile, more cookies are flying in. And if you have a row almost all hearts, and then from the left a new cookie attaches to that, well now you got a you, now you got a new cookie on there, so it's not all hearts anymore. And um, I, you kind of have to see it to, to to understand it to be completely honest. But it's all based on shapes. So the black and white Game Boy screen works really well with this. I never have a, any confusion about what type of cookie it is. Yeah, um, it gets faster and faster, but it, it is definitely a game based on speed and beating those incoming cookies, uh, trying to beat them to the punch before they get there and ruin what you're working on. Yeah, um, and when you complete a row or a column, all the cookies that are coming at you kind of back up and stop for a second, so they give you a, a little reprieve. Uh, the one negative about the game is all it's hardest at the beginning of a level when you've got a ton of cookies to deal with, but ultimately it comes down to you get to the point where you only have two cookies on your your block that you're working on, and you're waiting for the, just the right cookies to, to land to get rid of those two. Um, so you kind of have to wait. So you'll see an example of it here, I'm sure, because it happens every time. So he's sitting here. He's got a 4x4 four four block of cookies. He just got rid of a, a row there. Looks like he's working on a column there. Now he's got three hearts. I can see, oh, checkerboard's gone. Hearts are gone. There we go. He's down to two. So now he has to wait for the right stuff to come here to get rid of those two. I gotcha. It kind of always comes down to that. But it is a new kind of falling block puzzle game that I've never tried before, and I love those, and I can sit there and just... They're simple. They're stupid. Um, They take some repetition to practice, just like Tetris, just like Puzzled Upon, just like Puyo Puyo. And I love these kind of games, and it's got a cute little Mario theme on there, so what's not to love? And uh, a story mode, which, of course, who needs story in a game like this? But <laughs> So my, my game, for, to me, these games are always about beating story mode, and there's usually uh, like 10 level or 10 worlds with the 10 stages in each world. So essentially 100 levels to beat. Um, and then games like this always have a puzzle mode where they say, you know, get rid of all the cookies in four moves or something like that, and you have to get rid of them all. So that's all here. 
and it's a it's a solid uh, it's a it's a solid puzzle game that I've never tried before. So yeah, definitely doesn't rival Tetris, and uh, I I still prefer Tetris Attacks, but this is a <laughs> this is in that vein. Looks cool. I got to try this out. Yoshi Cookie. These are really the only kind of puzzle games I like, like the falling block action ones. Like yeah, I I, I don't like puzzle games, but these I do like, so I want to try that. Yeah, they're kind of a different genre. They're their own their own thing. So my next one is one I have I have discussed on the show before because this is something I downloaded on um, Switch probably four or five months ago. I don't remember seeing this, but the name is hilarious to me. Yeah, Dungeon Munchies is the <laughs> is the game, um, and it's on Steam. It's on Switch. Uh, you can buy it physically on Switch. Um, I have it on Switch. Um, and what this game is, is ultimately an RPG. Uh, but I'm going to read right from the description of the game about this game, just to explain it because it is a little tricky to explain. Hunt down monsters to cook and eat them. You've been revived in a massive underground complex. and You must leave this bizarre facility aided by the undead necro chef simmer. You must stay safe, get fed, and find a way to get out. Dungeon Munchies is a side-scrolling action RPG. So right there, you can see it's combining some some kind of cool genres here. With yeah. a focus on hunting down creatures, cooking them, and eating dishes to gain certain abilities. The combination of dishes you choose to eat will impact your entire play style. So um, I'm going to admit it's been a few months since I've played this game because I've had to move on, play other games and stuff like that. But I did get pretty deep into this game, probably maybe halfway through the game. Um, definitely got through two or three bosses. Um, this game utilizes two twin sticks. So you basically have a, it's a 2D platform where you move using your left stick and then the right stick is how you aim your weapon and then triggers okay. will fire your weapon or whatever. But the one really cool thing about this game is as you're moving along, there's this ghost chef named Simmer and she tells you the type of recipes and what to do. And you go and you kill enemies and you collect um, resources from these slain enemies. And when you get to certain parts of the level, you go and you can cook these up and it can add to your abilities. So like, let's say you want double jump. You have to get certain ingredients, cook it, and then you will get the double jump or additional speed or different. So it's like a me- Metroidvania where you cook up your extra abilities to get further in the game? Correct. Yep. Okay. Um, all the while, there is a unique kind of movement style where you do you can see the rectangle that is in front of them. You use your twin stick to kind of guide the weapon in that sense. So when you have a sword that doesn't make a ton of sense, but you know, later on you can get different projectile weapons and things like that, where it makes a little more sense. Um, this game does have bosses and, and it's a collectible game too, as you can see from that book. Yeah. You can collect all sorts of different types of resources in the game. You drop them in a pan, you saw that pan, and then when you wh- whatever it creates, you can eat to get different abilities. Yeah, you have an ability slots. Do you see the one at the bottom there in that little black window? Yep. Um, you can swap your abilities out. So let's say you you need this one ability that fires a a stronger weapon, but you don't need double jump at this point in the game. You can swap double jump out for a different 
you know, weapon. And then, so you basically, you can change your loadout on your character based on, you know, of the, of the things you've created. So you never lose your ability. Like in some games, you know how you'll get an ability and then you'll have to, you, you upgrade and then you lose that old ability and you never use it again. This one, you can just, basically the challenge in this game in level to pick your, your proper ability loadout based on the food that you get, you create that creates the abilities. So cool. And so like, there'll be one that adds an extra heart or at one that adds, you know, a speed you up or whatever. It, it, it basically just adds different abilities, the different foods you cook in this game. So cooking now becomes an essential part of the game. Um, and you basically just like in an RPG, you level up, you fight a boss and you move to the next level. Um, the game does get very challenging. So it, this, this does have a very steep kind of, uh, you know, uh, difficulty, difficulty curve to it eventually, yeah. but it, it never felt unfair. It's just, you got to get better at the game and you ha- definitely have to, as the game progresses, cook the right things to change your ability loadout based on the level. Nice. As you can see, though, this does fit the kind of retro-inspired theme. This is very, like, eight, kind of uh, sure. 16-bit kind of graphics. It's Yeah, it's got those... Um, those... I don't know how to explain it without sounding... It's it's modern in the way it moves. It's very fluid, but the graphics are almost, like, on-purpose kind of yeah. che- cheesy. Yep. <laughs> almost so bad it's good kind of a thing. No, you're right, yeah. But then they have... Uh, some like hand drawn graphics that pop up that are completely mismatched but beautiful. <laughs> it's, yeah. a, it's an interesting amalgamation of graphics, but uh, very interesting gameplay. And if you're done with that, it segues perfectly into my next game. I am done, which I've te- talked about, I believe, on our first, if not one of the first shows that we did. And it is the first physical Switch game I actually purchased. And it is called Battle Chef Brigade. Okay. Do you remember this one? I do. I do. Yeah. And you're going to hear a lot of similarities from the last game. Uh, this is a game in which it is an RPG kind of a thing, I guess, to a point. You move forward, you go out, and you are doing a kind of side-scrolling hack-and-slash platformer game to go uh, find vegetation and monsters to kill. And bring them back to the kitchen to cook them. <laughs> Delicious. Um, very anime graphics. I would say pretty gorgeous hand-drawn, uh, but very anime. Uh, so if that's not your style, it, it probably won't appeal to you, but kind of pastel looking. But the big thing with this is there's two major different types of gameplay. So here, here she is. Uh, you're this uh, female cook uh, running around catching things and grabbing the stuff she wants. Now, before you start the, the competition, which I'll talk about in a second, you kind of know what you need to go out and get. And you're limited on it with a timer and how long you can be out in the wild collecting stuff. Um, so when, once you're done going out and collecting this stuff, you come back to the kitchen and it is, you know, kind of like the battle chef kitchens, like the TV shows and stuff that were big in Japan and came over to America for a while. Yeah. It, it's a cooking competition show. Uh, so not only do you go out and hunt your own food and scav- or forage your own food, then you come back to the kitchen and you're competing against other chefs, uh, to win the favor of judges and the yeah. different judges might have, um, you know, they might have a tendency to like spicier foods. So you want to put ingredients in that are spicy to appeal to the judges. 
And when you're actually cooking, it's a kind of a falling block puzzle game that's happening beneath your your wok as you're cooking. Yeah. And you're taking, you know, ingredients that, that kind of fall under different elements. So red, blue, green, and yellow, I believe. I think red is like fire and spicy and blue is like fish and uh, green is like vegetable. And um, so it's, it's an interesting mix of action platformer and puzzle game. And it's all timed. So if you don't like timers, Eric, I know you don't like timers. No. Uh, might not be your thing. But, um, <laughs> and then it's interesting too, though, because it's not as straightforward while you're, and I don't remember all the rules right now, but as you're playing, you might get more walks or you might uh, earn a, a special kind of walk that um, gives you extra uh, judge points for cooking meat in that particular style of walk. Or uh, while you're playing, all of a sudden, you use a kind of rough a rough cut of meat that that leaves a big chunk of bone inside of your grid when you're trying to match these these falling block puzzle game uh, rows to to make your meal and stuff. Uh, it's really it's cool. It's very unique, kind of like your game. It's 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 its own thing. I've never seen anything else like it. And uh, I played probably 20 hours of this when I first got this game. Got all the way to, to towards the very end. I got to a part that was a little, the little, a little more difficult. Um, to me, the reason I ultimately stopped playing it, I kind of want to go back. I'm watching it now. I'm just, I, it was so good and so fun. Is just the story started getting kind of overpowering the gameplay. Okay. Which kills me. Yeah. And kills you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm like, I don't care about the story. Can you just like put me to where the next challenge is and let me try to beat it? Right. Um, but there is story and uh, and cutscenes and anime goodness. So if you're into that, you'll love this. Uh, that is called Battle Chef Brigade on the Switch, and it came out. I think it is also on Steam, and uh, I think those are your main two options. It might have come out on PlayStation Four as well. I've seen this. I see this all the time for sale because it is an early Switch game. Um, yeah, I've see I see this for sale all the time, like like the physical copy, and I always think, man, that looks like a game I would dig. But if it's got a lot of timers in it, I might not love it. <laughs> I mean, it's it's all timers, yeah. yeah. It's you're, they're timing your time out. They're collecting stuff, and then they time your yeah. You're, you're trying to beat the other player to get as much food cooked as quickly as possible that matches what the chef uh, the judge wants. Still looks like a great so, game. Looks like a lot. It of fun. is fun. You can always borrow it too. Oh yeah, yeah, true, true. Because it's physical. All right. And Eric, you got the last one, and I'm a little jealous that you picked this one because I love the format. And uh, tell us about <laughs> tell us about this one. And this might be the first time we've ever had a game and watch game in our six good games. But uh, I decided to go a different, as they say on ARG Presents. I don't know if you ever listened. To that, they're like, well, I went a different way on this. Yeah. Um, yep. I chose two, and I chose two because. There, there's, there's not going to be a ton to talk about on these. So it's the same game, same game, pretty much same game. And, but I picked two games, Chef and Pancake, on the Game and Watch games. And for those that don't know, the Game and Watch were uh, little physical LCD games that came that Nintendo came out. And I don't, it, it, you could probably help me explain this. But Game & Watch games are games where little LCD segments of the game light up as the game progresses to where um, it's not like sprites. It's not that kind of game. This is a kind of a handheld where you're, it, it's got very rudimentary movements and you 
God, it's so hard to explain like on a on a yeah, audio it, podcast. I mean, for for people my age, it's like a Tiger electronic handheld game, yes. but these were actually good. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the Nintendo ones were actually good. And the reason I chose these was that I was surprised because I don't own these two games, but I did on the Anbernick there is a uh gaming watch emulator. So I threw those on there and they play great. They look like the Game & Watch. They show the plastic and the buttons and everything. Yeah. Um so I mean it looks beautiful and 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 I was like, "Okay, well I want to try these. Uh, they probably suck, but I want to try them." They did not suck. They were actually both really good and they were different. So Chef and Pancake were A little different. Bit. So the difference is Chef, which is the one playing right here, is you have this chef guy who moves left and right on the screen. And what happens is you're juggling um, food up in the air and you can't let them fall. And so you're moving left, right. You have to throw them back up in the air. And every time you do, you get a point. Um, To kind of thwart you is this cat on the side who will grab one and hold it in midair and then let go of it. And so it kind of throws your rhythm off when you're trying to keep it up in the air. Um, it just gets harder and harder as the game goes on. And um, when a piece of food does hit the ground, a mouse runs across the screen and grabs that food. And then you only, I think, get three three of those, and then you then the game is over. So it's a p- pretty much a high-score game. And I'm sure when the food hits the ground, it makes that typical Game & Watch. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> that is and exactly every time it. you get a point, it goes, tick. Yep. Tick. So when you're playing this game at first, you're like, okay, this is boring. This is really easy. You're just basically running underneath the food as it comes down, putting it in your pan, flipping it back up, and you're moving back and forth. But the game gets brutally hard. And I don't know where, like, it starts to speed up. I know, like, this person on this gameplay just got to 100, and it started to speed up a little, even a little more. But it does get brutal um, over time. And more food will start to come out. So I think in the very beginning, you only have two things you're juggling and then three and then four. And there's just, it, it turns into chaos. It is a blast though. It's funny because all of these game and watch games have a very similar rhythm with that. You get into it and you're having a blast and it gets really hard. And then you start your next game and it starts off so slow again. You're like, Oh, that's right. Yep. yep. <laughs> in the beginning you wonder, is this game worth it? You're like, this yep. is so boring. Like, Okay. But then, like, especially the next game, which is called Pancake. Well, uh, and first of all, they also always have game A and game B. That's right. And, and unlike new games, they also keep score one point at a time. So you don't have 58,462 points. You've got <laughs> seven. Yeah. Eight. Exactly. Nine. Yep. So before we get to Pancakes, I need to ask a question, which I don't believe Pancakes is an actual Game & Watch game. I think it is a reimagining of this game. Okay, because it is different. I mean, it, it's game. not. It is. Yeah. Um, and I think here. it was Pancakes. called Pancake. Pancake. So here you go. Yeah. So if if it's anything like this game, it is 1981 VTech game. So not an actual Game & Watch game. Okay. Well, maybe, maybe it wasn't, but it did show up in my list on emulator. So I played it and it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. Very cool. It is different in that instead of food going up and down that the chef um, has to juggle. It basically starts out with a pancake that is cooked and from on the right side, 
and then it is left. This isn't the game I played, by the way. Oh, this is not. This is the one I played because I saw you put it on here. Okay, this is exactly like Chef because I mean the game has um, that that one towards the bottom is yeah I think this one is. But anyway, the a pancake will come from the right hand side when it's done cooking, and then it, it it's thrown in an arc over into the middle. And you have to get under the arc and flip it back up, but they move to the right. I mean, to the left. And so then they will land on a platter. See the dude? There we go. See the dude on the left-hand side? Yep. So you're basically keeping these in the air, and but instead of shooting them straight up and down, you you have to – basically, there's an arc of like – Juggle them over to the guy eating them on exactly, the far left side. Exactly. You're moving them over to the guy that's eating them. So you're right. It kind of is the same, Cody, and maybe this isn't an actual Game & Watch game. Uh, it's a, a time and fun game released by VTech, so a direct copy of the Game and Watch. So, yep. I mean, it has the same look and everything. It's definitely not Nintendo, but yep. um, I mean, it's very you know, it's a it's it's very it's similar, a very part. very very similar, very good knockoff of a v- of a uh, yep. Game and Watch game. Now, yeah. but instead of like juggling these things straight up and down, where you're keeping them off the floor, you're moving the pancake to the left and give, delivering it to the customer. Um, and in the beginning, this one especially, like in the beginning, it kind of like you're like, oh, okay, well, I'm just moving this Super pancake slow. over, and it really sucks. But then eventually, you get two pancakes, and then eventually, you get three and four, and it gets very, very hectic. Um, yeah. In fact, out of the two games, this one, I don't want to say it was more fun, but this one, like, because you're con- you know where it's going to go, you know that the yeah. pancake needs to move to the left. So you're not just sitting there juggling like just things straight up into the air and then they don't go anywhere. Yeah, you're doing uh, some mental math like, all right, if this yep. is moving now, I got to get to that. But don't forget about that one over there and then get back over here. Exactly. Yeah. So this game was a, was a ton of fun. I played this for a while and tried to you know beat my high score. And the cool thing about my emulator is that it keeps track of your high scores. So I kind of know where I am in regards to the high score for Pancake. Um, but Anyway, that's it's that. cool. So I haven't heard of this series yet. I kind of want to get some of these VTech games. These yeah, are cool. little time and fun ones. Time and fun. So cool. those are two physical little little you know onesie games that I think are a blast. And here's another time and fun game called Monkey. <laughs> oh yeah, kind of, the whole series of those too. Obviously copied off the Nintendos, but yeah, they look great. Yeah. Anyways, I'll have to get back to that later. Eric, That is, uh, those are our six good games, but a few uh, honorable mentions that we wanted to bring up here. Yeah. Um, so I'm, gonna, I'm very curious about yours. I'm going to save yours for the last, but I wanted to, I would, thought about using uh, Overcooked, which is a game I played on the PlayStation 4 with my daughter, and actually my whole family played it at one point. It's a brilliant game. I, just, I talked about it fairly recently, so I didn't want to cover it again, but it is literally a game where it's kind of more or less a, a top down you're you're gonna be one of of you know two three or four chefs depending on how many players you have and you're all basically running around a kitchen trying to fulfill orders and you're trying to figure out like sit on the couch yelling at each other like all right you take the burgers and take it over and cook them and then bring me the cooked burgers i'll get the buns and the lettuce you get the tomatoes but then of course somebody can't quite do it there's always not quite enough people to do everything so you're all freaking out and then yeah. food gets dropped on the floor and it gets ruined and you all freak out and then it's it's hilarious and um 
and there's multiple kitchens and sometimes you're all in one kitchen sometimes you're in two different areas so you have to pass things over the counter to the other players but you're on a boat so as the boat sways back and forth all the equipment's like moving around and you're trying to catch up with it it's it's hilarious uh that's overcooked and, uh, and by the way, c- I bought that game because we talked about it on the show, and I bought it, and I enjoyed it. I played it for a little while. You got to play it with, uh, I don't know if you have, I'm guessing you haven't the way you, you talk about it, but play it with other people on you know couch co-op. Yeah. And you will get in arguments, and people will start crying <laughs> <laughs> in a good way. Yeah. Um, uh, a couple other games I wanted to try, Fat Princess on the... Uh, PlayStation 3 and Vita. Uh, I never actually got around to it, but I've always seen that game, and um, it's interesting. You're trying to feed a, a princess a cake and make her fatter. Uh, <laughs> a game called I Am Bread, where you're literally a, a piece of toast, and you're trying to... Uh, it's like a um, physics-based game where you're trying to get your piece of toast ultimately to become... Your, sorry, your piece of bread to become toast. Yeah. So you're transversing these worlds, trying to find ways to to, to toast yourself. Um, but the main one I wanted to highlight, it's probably my favorite out of everything we played here, and I love the game so much. A Pico 8 game. To my to my knowledge, it is the only system that has this game or style of game. Yeah. Called My Chan's Sweet Buns. Yeah. This is definitely my, my top five Pico 8 games of all time. Yeah, it might be. I think it's my number one. My Chan's Sweet Buns. It's not an adult game. It is a, a baking game match uh matching kind of falling block puzzle game very unique you're trying to uh match these cards at the bottom of the screen that might show one two or three in a row of certain type of baked goods and you try to find those on your board and when they get eliminated more stuff falls down and then you try to eliminate other you kind of have to play it to to do it but it is so fun so good has so much replayability that's my my honorable mention yep so I literally just Googled, hey, retro games with a uh, cooking mechanic. And this game on the Game Boy came up called Out to Lunch. And it was a platformer. And okay. I just threw it on my list. I was like, okay, this looks pretty good. So I based it on vi- like YouTube videos I saw. And then once I played it, um, I started noticing the flaws in this game. And there are plenty. <laughs> and one of the one of the biggest ones is that it is super floaty it's like a platformer where you're trying to clear levels and it's a scrolling platformer so you you can kind of move up in the level and see your little chef and you're running and you grab these power-ups and things like that but when you you have to fire and stun the enemies and then you have to grab them with your net that looks pretty cool right you're like wow that's a new yeah the, the video looks good yeah the firing is these floaty little arcs and it yeah. makes it very difficult to actually hit anything. And so you think that, well, you can overcome that, but it gets really annoying in like later levels <laughs> like that right there, yep. right there. And, oh, and you have to, gri- you not only have to grab them in your net, but it, it, you have to take them down to the bottom, right? Where you drop them into a cage and it's against a timer. So you're constantly trying to get uh, all these things. <laughs> You're trying to collect ingredients and get to this timer in the bottom. And then, so I played this and I was like, well, the graphics are cool and it's smooth and it sounds cool. I ended up just not liking this game. I had it on my list almost all month. I was like, okay, this is the game. This is the one I'm going to pick. And then I I had to be honest with myself. I was like, I I don't And with our viewers. I mean, I'm sure you've done that too, where you've picked a game and you're like, okay, this is it. You're playing it and you're like, this isn't such a good game. (laughs) 
<laughs> so out to lunch is is a missed. I just did, I did not like it, so I'm not going to pick it. Um, and then the next game was recommended by Amigo Aaron on Discord because I put out a feeler like, hey, anybody like these cooking games? And he said Cooking Mama series on on. Uh, I've heard great things about Cooking Mama. Yeah, and so I played it, and it's great. It's not a bad game. So this is a good game. I just didn't pick it, but. The original one. So, yeah, play that second one, the, the original one there. The original one, it's basically just a series of mini games that you play. Um, and the mini games, how well you do in them, it rates how well you finish your dish. And then if you get below a threshold, like the mama's on there and she's all mad, she's like, I'll fix it. And then she goes and fixes it. And then you move on to the next level. What okay. I thought about this game was like at least this first one, okay? I'm not this is a whole series of games. Yeah. But this first one seemed like if I was a kid under 13, I would love this game. But as but you're adult, not a kid. it's just like the mini games are very kind of simplistic and it, it it just it was just a series of like using the stylus to do certain things on the screen. Yeah, kind of like just feeling like you achieved tasks, even though you're really just correct. When it comes down to it, you're doing like yeah. preschool level motor skills. <laughs> yeah. With like this one, you literally move the stylus across to grate this thing. And then you hit the button to knock the shavings down and then you scoot it. I mean, they were very rudimentary things. And it's it all was, like, follow the instructions. It's not like you're learning a skill and doing it over and over again yourself and dialing it in, right? You're just yeah. doing what it tells you to do now. Th- yeah, exactly. Now. So this first one, I think if you were a little kid, this would be fantastic. And I heard that later on, as the games became more sophisticated, it became a lot more fun for adults. Like there was actually challenges and things like that to do. And when it came out on the Wii, there was like motion controls. Like you could flip pans with your Wii, Wii mote, you know, because it had the motion sensors and all that stuff. It just wasn't for me. That's it. Gotcha. I love the first one. Yeah. 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 Cool. We'll have to we'll have to try one of those maybe later at a later date. Exactly. Put a put a pin in it. Right on. That's it. Six good games. Six good games and the first episode of 2023. Eric. Yeah. Um. Make sure you guys join us next episode on the 30th of January. Episode 99. One shy of Ooh. three digits. Oof. Um. Tim will join us and we will be talking about. Uh, what we've been up to in our catching up segment, we're going to talk about our battle of the systems between a couple of 32-bit brawler games, and we've got a game show, and all kinds of other good stuff, including uh, Eric's take, where he'll talk about podcast workflow. <laughs> Don't sound a little late. I'm sure it'll be great, but all right, Eric, thank you so much. It's been a great time. We hope you guys have enjoyed listening. Please reach out to us with any questions, comments, feedback, suggestions. Ooh. Yeah. Always looking for more quick questions, and uh, honestly, getting getting harder and harder to figure out what we want to do for our uh, Battle of the Systems and Six Good Games segments. So, yeah. If you really want Six Good Unicorn Games, feel free to suggest it. Sure. And we'll and we'll misinterpret it all we want. Yeah. Oh, you're talking about like that that hard to find perfect game. All right. <laughs> or you're actually talking about unicorns. I don't know. Um, nonetheless, 
Keep in mind, everybody, it's, it's dangerous, dangerous to go alone. Thank you again for listening. You can find episode information and show notes online at pixelguiden.com. Please follow us on Twitter at pixel underscore guiden. And you can also follow Eric at the project. That's D-U-H project. You can also follow Cody on Twitter at oddball49. That's O-D-D-B-A-1-1-4-9. You can reach Tim Drew as well on Twitter at sanction. That's S-A-N-X-I-O-N. If you are interested in supporting the show financially, please join us at our Patreon account. That's patreon.com forward slash pixelguiden. Please leave a review to help get our podcast listed higher up on the show rankings. We would also love to hear from you with any comments or input. So hit us up on our email at podcast at pixelguiden.com.